Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. It's Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prenderville Show last week and this week. Neil returning, of course, to the hot seat on next Monday morning to the morning papers and Houlihan drawn in to travel test row. There's been a backlash at the CMO's demand for expensive swabs. Dr. Tony Houlihan has been drawn into a row over expensive COVID tests required before travelling abroad. The Chief Medical Officer's preference for PCR tests, which can cost in the region of €200 Euros per person, multiply that by a family of six, uh, over cheaper antigen tests has rankled with politicians. And while many families are desperate to get away for a holiday abroad, the government's Chief Health Advisor has continued to insist on demanding PCR over antigen tests. This has led to a backlash with calls for him to appear before the Oireachtas Transport Committee to explain his reasoning. And while the CMO has continued to outline that the more costly PCR COVID swabs are far more accurate, a number of other health experts have challenged this stance. Indeed, one Harvard academic said Dr. Houlihan's assessment is, quote, inaccurate, unquote, and that antigen tests are a better option when it comes to travel. Antigen tests cost as little as €39, but Irish holiday makers face forking out multiples of that if they require pre-travel PCR tests uh, for both legs of their journey. This is despite the fact that most EU countries accept antigen tests, while those that require PCR tests offer these at a far cheaper rate than here. 1.5 million pints the first day. Thirsty punters drink up outdoors, but many pubs, of course, are still shut due to space restrictions. The uh, Star reporting today about 1.5 million pints were pulled on Monday as pubs welcome back punters for the first time this year. Industry sources said that pub goers knocked back about 1.5 million pints of beer, stout, ale and cider when outdoor service resumed in 4,000 pubs nationwide. Most pubs reopened after five months of lockdown on June's Bank Holiday Monday, but around 250 non-food pubs in Dublin opened their doors for the first time after first time after 476 days. The Echo has jail preferable option. Prison is better than homelessness. A number of people are deliberately reoffending to access a roof over their heads in prison as homelessness remains a significant problem in Cork City. That's according to the director of soup kitchen charity Cork Penny Dinners on Little Hanover Street. Great friend to the program, Katrina Toomey, said that more government support was needed for services dealing with vulnerable people in the city. She remarked that one person had even committed a series of public order offences in a desperate attempt to return to jail. Ms Toomey emphasised that for a number of people, prison is more attractive an option than life on the streets because they are guaranteed a bed at night, and I suppose three squares a day as well, which uh, Katrina Toomey is, of course, endeavouring to provide here, uh, outside of prison, on the streets of Cork and at the uh, wonderful facility at Cork Penny Dinners. The Wilk murder, murder investigation is still active. A file on the gruesome murder of Mikolai Wilk in Ballancolic three years ago has still not been sent to the Director of Public Prosecutions. A Garda spokesman said the investigation into the murder remains active, adding Gardaí are still trying to piece it together. Front page of the Echo. Cork Airport to start offering new routes, also says the Echo. Uh, we reported on this yesterday. With weeks until international travel is poised to resume, Cork Airport is seeing an increase in the number of flights operating to and from the airport and will begin resuming and offering new routes over the coming week. Let's hope we can speak to them this morning. In line with government guidelines, the airport has remained open throughout the pandemic, facilitating the import and export of essential medical supplies and cargo, search and rescue missions, medical evacuations and transplant flights. However, with international travel due to commence from July 19th, 
the airport is gearing up to serve more flights and destinations. In a tweet, the airport yesterday said it was beginning to see a gradual increase in flights with its airline customers. Staying with the uh, morning papers, and the examiner has called for an inquiry into care home debts. Neil Michael and Neve Griffin reporting uh, in the examiner that the Coroner Society of Ireland has called for a wide-ranging inquiry into all COVID-related nursing home debts. Frank O'Connell, president of the Coroner Society of Ireland, believes that such an inquiry is necessary to provide answers for grieving relatives about why their loved one dies uh, died. The Mirror has one down. The first Leaving Cert exam is done. 42,000 up to do the English paper. The Leaving Cert began yesterday without the customary sunshine for 61,000 students who are the second cohort of candidates to complete the exams during the COVID-19 pandemic. Cork students start Leaving Certificate also says the uh, Echo. The Mirror has availability of cocaine on the rise during the pandemic. The availability of crack cocaine appears to have shot up in Ireland during the pandemic. A report has revealed the drugs market has also been remarkably resilient with organized crime mobs changing their trafficking routes and using encrypted messaging services. But among the possible worrying developments associated with the pandemic is the rise in the availability of crack cocaine. Uh, Leo's sick pay plan decimated. Pandemic bid. Pandemic bid, I beg your pardon, read it wrong. Uh, Workers' illness rights, 10 days leave by 2025. Uh, Workers will have a legal right to 10 paid six days per year, up to a maximum of €110 per day by 2025, under a new law being brought forward by the government. It's a phased introduction. Tónis de Leo Veracker said the sick pay rule is part of a new range of measures for workers prompted by the pandemic uh, that will also see the minimum wage increase next year. The Sick Leave Bill 2021 will see workers given a legal right to sick pay for the first time, which will be phased in over the next four years. Employers will have to pay three sick days in 2022, rising to five paid days in 2023, seven in 2024, and finally 10 days in 2025. The sick pay will be paid at a rate of 70% of an employee's wages, up to a maximum of €110 per day. Our beautiful girl, the family heartache, as dog horror Mia is buried. Baby Mia O'Connell was laid to rest yesterday as her grieving family thanked those who supported them in their time of heartache. And uh, we've come back to more in the morning papers. Just want to give a quick mention uh, in the echo to the first Spina Bifida Golf Classic set for June 18th, the inaugural Cork Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Golf Classic will take place at Monkstown Golf Club uh, on tomorrow week, June 18th. And the event has been organised by Alan Flory, who's a committee member of the Cork Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Association. The association looks after members financially, helping those costs uh, towards costs for trips to hospital and other needs that a person with Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus may have. I actually met Alan last Monday, and uh, he told me he ha- had had three cans of Beamish over the course of the five-month lockdown. And this was incredulous to me because the Alan Flory I knew was kind of a complex mechanism for turning Beamish into urine. But no, he said, I have been working on a website. So I just want to give it a quick plug for him. And it's fluryimages.ie. It's absolutely striking. And five months' work went into it. So uh, he's very proud of it. And a great guy too. Best of luck with the Golf Club Classic for Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Association on tomorrow week. We're back to the morning papers Uh as we go through the show, we'll uh, dip into them because there's some very nice stories in there as well. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, if you want to get calling, it's one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. You can text us on 8086-8104-106 or email neil at redfm.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco, working to make food more sustainable.
Now, yesterday we caused quite a bit of consternation with an item we did, knowing, of course, it would uh, cause some reaction. We did it towards the end of the programme to kind of tee it up for today. And what a reaction we got on social media, text, phone calls. So I want to read the email again, which came from John uh, in Clon. Hi, Mick. I am beyond repulsed at the latest attempt by a multinational organisation in over-sexualising young girls. Last year we had the LOL dolls and their disappearing sexy lingerie. And before that we had beauty pageants for very young kids. Now New Look are selling padded bikinis targeted at girls as young as nine years of age. Why can't little girls be little girls? They don't, they just don't stand a chance at childhood when you have this type of carry-on. The two-piece forms, moulded triangular cups with matching skimpy bottoms, secured only by ties on the side. Padded bras are only used for one thing, and that is to accentuate what God has given some women. These bikinis do not belong on a nine-year-old girl. We shouldn't be making children into sexualized beings before their own personal hormones are ready for them to be sexual. Young boys now get a lot of uh, their sex education from online porn, where women with big breasts are being portrayed as the norm. A lot of these boys are going to see those breasts and will be programmed to act sexually. What's wrong with a one-piece swimsuit? They'll be nice and cool in and out of the water. I don't see the need for a bikini, especially one with a tie at the side. Some joker is going to pull the tie and the entire beach will be glaring at the embarrassed child. I'd be interested if your listeners were of a similar opinion, said John in Clon. Now, let's go to that topic immediately and to Effie Murphy, who is on line one. Hi, Effie. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm, I'm very good. Do you agree with John or do you not agree with him? Uh, look, no nine-year-old should be wearing um, padded bikinis, but at the same time, I just can't understand how a grown man can think of a child as a sexual object. I just think it's totally wrong. Okay. Um, yeah. What he is saying is, 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 he doesn't, I don't think he would relish the thought of a nine-year-old girl being considered a sexual object. He's trying to protect them from it, uh, is my I reading know, of it. Even thinking about a nine-year-old like being that way. a sexual object, it's just yeah, it's just totally wrong. Like I mean, I've I have a daughter, and there's no way on earth I would ever think of my daughter being a sexual object for anyone if she was on the beach wearing a bikini or anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I, then is again, it the padded bra that. element then that that you think he's? Yeah, I suppose the fact that it's padded. But see, men don't really understand the fact that padded bras are to protect modesty. Like, you know, the nipples hanging out or things like that. That's what the padded bras are. And sometimes, yeah, women would get the padded bra to emphasise their their bust. But, like, at the same time, I think it's more to protect the modesty of the child, really, rather than emphasise it, you know? Yeah, reading some of the social media comments last night, uh, that that was quite the the theme there, that uh, people don't realise. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, every single child, boy or girl, is individual and different. Uh, and boys and girls grow at different rates. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hormones are different in everybody. And some girls develop faster than other girls. And essentially, these padded bras offer just that, the modesty, uh, rather than have a, a, a wardrobe incident, shall we say, on the beach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're totally right. And what about boys? What's next for them? I mean, padded boxers. We go with the fashion trends, sure. You never know, padded boxers. In all fairness, but like, I I don't know. I suppose everybody just keeps up with the trends and goes with the flow. I just um, think Ireland is kind of backwards when it comes to change, and just people just need to go with it, really. And you know, now I wouldn't say that I'd be going out buying a padded bra for my nine-year-old daughter. Certainly wouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, like if it's not for you, then just don't comment on it or don't buy it. You know, you Mm -hmm. don't have to. You know. Yeah, there's very much the uh, the theme of the uh, furore yesterday with Kerry Katona 
who uh, got in a right heated argument, which we might listen to a little later on, uh, with the reality star Tessa Hartman. You used to be in pageants yourself, Effie, did you? I still am, yeah, yeah. Um, pageants are fantastic. I know we're going to have a lot of people calling in now saying pageants are this and that, but like until you've been to one, you can't really understand them, you know. How old were you so, when you started doing pageants? Well, I started off with my six-year-old daughter uh, a long time ago. She's 17 this year. Um, but myself, I started in 2015, uh, size 24 lady entering beauty pageants. Never thought I'd ever do it. Um, and yeah, since then, I've still competed. It's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a text here that might interest you. The whole point should be about what's most comfy for the child. It's most likely a wetsuit in Ireland, but they do amazing ones for kids and often have them at Lidl. Bikinis are not comfy for little girls. Too many strings knotted up and bottoms going down and the cami coming off, etc. A onesie yeah. tog suit allows for better playtime for the youngsters. They shouldn't be thinking about what they wear on the beach. They should be concerned about how to build a fantastic sandcastle. I have a wetsuit too and they're a dream and I would fully recommend them, says Lauren. Yeah. Yeah, like each each to their own, Mick, you know, like I wouldn't be one to be going parading my daughter around in a bikini. I I'd put a a wetsuit on her, no problem. Um but I suppose there's people out there that likes to keep up with fashion trends and if that's what they're into then fair play to them, you know. I suppose everybody's different. Mm-hmm. So whereas you could read John's comments as being protective of, of nine year olds and ten year olds and eleven year old girls, you're saying what grown man would leave these thoughts about sexualizing girls uh, enter his head and write about it to a radio exactly. station? Yeah, I was. Yeah. All right, and you're 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 fully supportive of the the pageantry continuing and all of that. You think it's good for kids? One hundred percent, honest to God. My daughter has her first job interview this morning. You know, she's uh, she's sixteen, and she's been competing in pageants ten years. And I can guarantee she's going to walk out the door this morning with this job because of her interview skills that she's after getting from pageantry. Um, it's it's not just about parading yourself on stage, you know. You're you're getting confidence, you're getting interview skills, public speaking skills, and there's so much more to it that people don't really understand. And I think once um, people do understand, they might be more open to pageants, you know. Yeah, we had an um, interesting call yesterday on speech and drama and a new speech and drama uh, degree course or certificate course that's starting in Cork, and that's exactly the uh, you know the undercurrent of positivity that that we were told about. Uh, that through mm-hmm. the through the speech and drama, uh, youngsters, boys and girls, uh, get confidence. They get speaking abilities. They get uh, you know to stand confidently in front of crowds and and so yeah. do better interviews. I would imagine. Oh, definitely, I hundred percent agree with them. Yeah, speech and drama is fantastic. Great for kids. Okay, Effie, thanks a million. Yeah. No problem at all. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. And the texts thanks, are buddy. numerous. Thanks, Effie, on on this. Oh my God, what's the world coming to? Let kids be kids, says Catherine. An absolute disgrace. I have two young daughters. I definitely wouldn't want my daughter wearing them, says Patrick. I don't agree with this at all. Way too young for bikinis, says Sharon. I saw these. I would absolutely, absolutely not let my little girl wear one. It's not age appropriate. She wouldn't choose it anyway. She likes pink and sparkles because she's been allowed to be a little girl says Lucy. People should be able to wear anything they want without being ridiculed for it. I'd be more concerned that this person thinks that clothes sexualize a child. A child is a child, no matter what they wear. If you have boys, teach them not to comment on a girl's clothes or pull the string to their bikini. How are we still having these conversations? Another texter says, it's not uh, about what nine-year-olds are wearing, it's about what parents are ready to buy for them. Nine-year-olds don't go out and buy and they won't go to a new look uh, to get this piece. It's as simple as that, says Eva. Uh, putting a swimsuit on a child doesn't make them sexual objects. I saw four young men fishing topless yesterday. As a woman, should I be programmed to act sexually towards them? 
Would it have been their fault if I had? Of course not. It's sad to see that people still think this way. So the bikinis are wrong, but it's okay for boys to watch porn and can't control themselves. And it's all because they wore a bikini. Hmm, says Alison. We'll do one more, then we listen to Kerry Katona. Being a sexual abuse victim myself from the age of 9 to 13. And now I have my own daughter, who's a toddler. No bloody chance she will be wearing sexualized clothes, uh, clothes such as kids' bikinis until she actually has breasts and when she's a little older. Way too many sexualized clothes for babies, toddlers and young girls nowadays, in my opinion, says Carol. Now, uh, Kerry Katona, uh, ex-music uh, star, of course, uh, a big, big uh, in blogging and on social media, and an influencer, I would imagine you could call her. Uh, here is some audio of her in a heated clash with reality star Tessa Hartman over New Look's padded kids' bikinis. This is from yesterday's Good Morning Britain. Have a listen to this. I think this is a really good thing for a body-conscious young teenage girl. And the whole point of it is choice. It's like anything in the marketplace. If you don't wow. actually want to buy it, then don't wow. buy it. It's like watching a TV program. Wow. You have a choice. We're, we're decided to choose for First of all, sorry to interrupt. First of all, over 18, oh, OnlyFans is over 18. No one is actually putting that to a nine-year-old child. And second of all, when I go on holiday to a resort with my children and there's a bunch of strangers there, I am not going to put my nine-year-old child in a padded bikini bra, which is sexualizing them, not knowing who is stood there watching. <laughs> for me, that is almost like dangling a carrot in front of a paedophile. That is how but I feel. It's okay that, for your, exactly it's okay for your teenage daughters to child, take a photo. Of your, of your naked pictures to put on a social media of site, but yet a, you won't let them wear a bikini no, that my, covers their modesty. First of all, darling, my children <laughs> do not. No, hang on. First of all, my children do not take pictures of me naked. So whatever you read there, you've got it completely wrong. That's Kerry Katona. She's got a temper. I met her once. She was absolutely lovely. Uh, but there she is yesterday from uh, Good Morning Britain. Now, a couple of more texts uh, before we close out the subject. There is zero need to have padded swimwear for a nine-year-old. Absolutely zero. I don't care what anyone else thinks. They could have made these designs without the padded cups and there wouldn't have been an issue. But this is going to teach nine-year-old girls to be conscious of their chest and in turn self-conscious, says Thalia. It's totally wrong altogether. Who in their right disgusting mind would put this on their daughters? It's not age-appropriate. It's giving the wrong kind of message out. And here's a long text. I understand why people are saying anyone, including kids, should wear what they want. But this world has plenty of sick, twisted animals, and they'd have a field day with mothers buying these for little girls this summer. Kids should be able to wear whatever they want, and yes, of course, they should. But can they? Unfortunately, no. I personally wouldn't buy one for my nine-year-old, and not because of little boys either, but sick weirdos that unfortunately would love this idea. And to people saying, who'd pull the string in a bikini? Do you not remember what it was like when you were young? People messing, pulling up skirts, and pulling down boys' pants for a laugh? It doesn't just happen to girls. Of course, it can happen, says Katharina. We're back in a moment. The Neil Prenderville Show, on Twitter, at NeilRedFM. Now, in these difficult COVID times, we grasp at every uh, shred of good news. We did so yesterday and highlighted the fact that there's going to be an increase in flights from Cork Airport ahead of the resumption of international travel. And the communications officer at Cork Airport, Kevin Cullinan, joins us this morning. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Nick. Uh, Some good news at last. You're welcoming back routes to Alicante, Stansted, Luton, Warsaw, uh, Malaga, Faro and Malta in July to follow. Yes, I suppose following the government's announcement of the reopening of non-essential international travel from July 19th next, 
a number of our airline partners have been announcing the restoration of routes that would have operated out of Cork before the pandemic. So in the last number of days, we've seen 16 new services uh, reinstated by the various airlines, Ryanair, Lufthansa Air, France, Swiss, uh, as well as Aer Lingus, who stood by us throughout the pandemic, and KLM that operated a, an essential service to Amsterdam as well over the last uh, year and a half. So slowly but surely, there's a gradual restoration of the route network out of Cork. We were left with just two routes uh, at the depth of the pandemic with both Aer Lingus and KLM uh, just serving London and Amsterdam respectively. But as I say, in the last number of days, um, 16 new services added back onto the schedules that people can now book from, from the middle of July onwards. And of course, the airport is uh, so much more than just personal travel. There is essential travel. There is business travel that needs to be conducted. There are transplant flights. There are flights, I guess, helicopter flights out to essential working on the rigs, uh, that kind of thing. So the airport wasn't completely spun down, if you like. Uh, maybe the visible flights were very few, but it was still there were still a lot of operations taking place. That's true. I mean, a, a lot of things that normally, I suppose... Um, are unseen during normal busy times and came to the fore with, you know, obviously at the start of the pandemic, repatriating um, people, um, Irish people abroad that wanted to get home to be with family and also people that were either living or working here that wanted to get back home around the, the globe. So um, they they were at the fore initially, but then, you know, the airport has remained open throughout the pandemic um, for those minimal number of flights that were operating for, for essential travel, but also, as you say, for cargo operations, you know, uh, medical evacuations where people had to have life-saving operations abroad or had to be brought uh, home from abroad. But now what we're starting to see is a, this huge pent-up demand, particularly for people that have been missing um, family and friends over the last year and a half, you know, families that haven't been reunited uh, for Christmas or birthdays, anniversary. So people are taking the opportunity now to see, can, can they reconnect? Um, obviously, as the, the vaccine rollout continues at pace uh, here at home and abroad, um, people have obviously the confidence and they're seeing the lifting of government restrictions, not just here, but across the globe. Mm-hmm. Now, I know uh, Chief Medical Officer Tony Hulahan has been drawn into some controversy. We'll probably have to make some sort of statement on the PCR test versus the antigen test. Those in the airline industry are clamouring for uh, Europe-wide antigen tests, which are cheaper and don't put 500 or 1,000 euros cost each way uh, onto the cost of a family holiday. Would you be hopeful in that regard that uh, we might align everything uh, and that uh, that will help the airline industry to recover quickly? Well, as, as an airport, we don't set any of the, the national um, health restrictions. That's really the prerogative of government to set the policy um, and to obviously keep us all safe throughout COVID. Um, we've obviously been advocating for some time at the reopening of international travel in a, in a safe way. Um, we've obviously invested very significantly on health and well-being measures at the airport since the outset of this and, and people will notice some of those subtle differences when they come back flying you know we've all become very used to every time we go go shopping these days and to the social distancing measures that, that are in place in supermarkets you'll find the same measures at an international airport these days you'll see the plexiglass screens you'll see the hand sanitization units and so forth so the health and safety of every one of all our passengers and our staff has been and uh, remains our number one priority. 
um, and every measure that can get us all back moving again safely is to be welcomed. Mm-hmm. Well, what wasn't 100% evident from the uh, from the tweet yesterday, Kevin, is you're welcoming back Alicante, Stansted, Luton and Warsaw. Is that kind of with immediate effect or are they also included in the July, Malaga, Faro and Malta? So those four routes uh, started back on June 2nd last and then from the middle of July you'll see Malaga, Faro and Malta being reinstated by, by Ryanair. Aer Lingus, as I say, have been operating their Heathrow service right throughout this, but uh, they're looking to bring back their Amsterdam, Faro, Malaga, Palma services. Uh, and, and I believe um, today um, Dubrovnik and Lanzarote are also now on the radar. So, um, you know, those sun holiday destinations are starting to re- reappear back. And then, you know, we had KLM start a brand new route um, um, to Amsterdam in the middle of the pandemic last August and then we have the good news that Lufthansa will uh, reconnect uh, Cork and Frankfurt from the 25th of June this month so you know with Air France coming back on Paris and Swiss coming back on Zurich you're starting to see a lot of the, the big flag carriers across Europe having you know a lot of confidence in the market out of Cork airport and they know the demand is there right across the south of Ireland for those routes and that's why they have the confidence now to, to start reinstating mm-hmm. them. We're still only at, you know, what, 18 routes out of, you know, almost 59 that we had pre-COVID um, but it's great that we've gone from like two airlines back up to six in, in recent weeks uh, and as I say from two routes to, to 18 now so uh, it's a slow but gradual um, restoration and obviously some of those routes won't be operating at the same frequency that they, they would have been opening at the the peak of 2019 but um, as as demand um, warrants it I'm sure you'll see the airlines respond to that with, with supply. Okay, and what what are the requirements now, for instance, if somebody has had a double vaccination and the second vaccination is more than two weeks old, can they actually travel to Alicante, Stansted, Luton or Warsaw? Well, the best advice for passengers, um, the Department of Foreign Affairs at dfa.ie have an excellent website because there's subtleties, as you can imagine, to every country around the globe and, and the Department of Foreign Affairs have put up uh, excellent current advice on, on dfa.ie for over 200 um, frequently visited destinations around the world, uh, which gives the, the very latest and up-to-date advice for every specific uh, instance, because uh, it obviously has been changing literally by the day. Um, so the best advice for passengers that are planning travel is in your first instance, go to the dfa.ie website, look at the destination you're, you're about to travel to and just understand you know, what restrictions are in place on the, the far end if you're travelling there. Uh, and you'll also get excellent and current advice of what you may need to do on your return back. And, and as I say, we've been seeing those restrictions being lifted but also being changed. So... Um, you know, what might be in place now could well be changing next week or if you're planning travel ahead for, you know, the rest of June, July, August into September. Um, you just need to be uh, aware of the subtle changes that are taking place so that you, and again, with this rollout across Europe of the, the digital COVID certificate, um, that will be offered to people that are fully vaccinated uh, or have a negative PCR test or have recovered from COVID. Uh, but the details, uh, we're still waiting details from the Department of Health and how and Department of Transport on exactly how that will operate and how people will get their, their digital certificate 
uh, to prove either that they are fully vaccinated or they have recovered from COVID or that they have a negative PCR test. So the details of that aren't forthcoming yet, but we know that the um, the various government departments are working uh, tirelessly on that to get it rolled out um, by, by, by the um, middle to end of July next. So okay, we have the, some... Uh, the, yep. Keep going. DFA.ie is really the first yep. go-to site at the moment. That was one of our questions, uh, DFA.ie. We have some specific questions, not difficult ones, uh, Kevin, just coming in uh, on our text line. Can I first ask you maybe just to clarify, uh, the airport necessarily has to close. People are kind of confused as to why it's closing just when travel is spinning back up again. I know there are legitimate, valid reasons why this has to be so. Can you tell us when it's going to be closed from, what's happening, and, and how long it'll be closed? Okay, so... Even with the, the restoration of, of these routes, you know, we're still going to have very low volumes of passengers going through the airport this year, around 200,000. Uh, go back to 2019 when we were the fastest growing airport uh, on the island of Ireland, you know, we would have been doing 2.6 million passengers. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, passenger numbers, routes uh, and flights have decreased by, you know, 97% uh, over the, the duration of this pandemic. So, so there's an operational nettle here you have to grasp. There, there is, and no matter what, look, we were planning to do the runway at the end of next year and into into 2023. When we saw the, the devastating impact COVID had on our business last year, we made the decision last summer to bring forward that work. We um, obviously have done all of the design work for the, the rebuilding and reconstruction of the runway because runways have to be replaced every 15 to 20 years. And the, road, the main runway at Cork uh, is the only one capable of jet aircraft landing. And you know, we'd have 22,000 jet aircraft landing on that runway uh, every year, 70 ton of it hitting. So mm-hmm. over time, uh, and our runway is now approaching you know, 31 years of age, uh, it does deteriorate uh, and it has to be basically reconstructed. So we're going to do that this year when, as I say, we have less, you know, we'll have around 200,000 passengers. We're planning to see volumes increase significantly next year to about 1.5 million, which is about half of where we thought we would have been in 2019 next year. Um, but we'll get that work done over a very short, sharp 10-week period from the 12th of September to the 22nd of November. We'll remain open um, June, July, August and into half of September for whatever routes and flights are operating. We'll close, get the work done over a short, sharp period. The alternative was to wait till next year and do it over nine or ten months. Which would cause greater disruption. At night time, uh, and we'd be discommoding more flights, more passengers. So look, we've, we've had to grasp that, that thorny metal uh, and say we'll do it now when the impact to our customers and our airline customers will be minimal. Um, there, there isn't zero risk and there isn't zero inconvenience, but it certainly is the minimum. And the beauty is then we'll be obviously open again at, at the tail end of November for what we hope will be an extremely busy Christmas period where people can reconnect with kids and kin around the globe and look forward to hopefully a bump for 2022. Yeah, okay, I have a friend who's a Stobart pilot who's not looking forward to the extended downtime because they probably won't be. Uh, you know, they'll be they'll be off for those three months as well. Uh, are Stobart going to come back and fly from Cork again as a specific question here? Yeah, I mean, Stobart Air operate the Aer Lingus regional franchise and they've indicated that the earliest they'll be in a position to restart operations is probably December uh, of, of this year. Uh, so they're not planning to re- reinstate any of the UK provincial routes yet, but mainline Aer Lingus, as I say, uh, which has been operating, you know, ever present for 60 years now at Cork. We'll be celebrating our 60th 
birthday uh, in October this year, um, they'll be restoring their Amsterdam, Faro, Malaga, Palma, Dubrovnik and Lanzarote services um, over over next month. Yeah, there were a lot of worries that Aer Lingus would, would withdraw from Shannon and Cork and just be centric in Dublin. Well, the, the, the closure in Cork is temporary for, for the 10 weeks uh, of, of the runway reconstruction. And they're working around that, are they? So Aer Lingus obviously are working with their staff around around that that particular scenario. But as I say it's it, it's a confidence booster to see you know uh, our longest serving carrier restore restoring you know a number you know six additional routes uh, as well as operating Heathrow continuously um, throughout the pandemic. So we're we're delighted to see that those routes coming back with with our longest serving carrier. Okay, there's huge interest, Kevin, if you can answer some listener-specific questions. I don't think people realised how much they would miss the airport in its downtime. Uh, But Lanzarote flights is is a question here. July and August, are they gone? Uh, There doesn't seem to be any available, says Marcel. Uh, Aer Lingus, uh, literally hot hot off the presses this morning, Aer Lingus are looking to reinstate Lanzarote. Um, I don't have the date when that service is being restored to hand, but it literally was breaking news this morning. So Lanzarote is coming back with Aer Lingus presently. Okay. Uh, Are you updating the the airport website as, as these things happen or should people go individually to the airlines? Yes, I mean, we, we updated yesterday and, and uh, even uh, in the last half hour, we have more work to do today. So our, our, our team are already working on updating that, that list of destinations this morning. Uh, and obviously, we're keeping our social media channels regularly updated. So uh, um, it is a, an ever-evolving situation. Thankfully, now we're dealing with positive evolving news rather than... Rather uh, than spinning down, yeah. The case. So as I say, we're... We're preparing for the ramping up uh, of these services. Um, and I would just advise passengers, you know, in the excitement to rebook flights, don't forget to check what, what restrictions, because obviously COVID hasn't gone away. There are still very stringent uh, health measures in place right across the globe. Uh, and different countries have different restrictions in place. So, um, and again, they even, you know, one of the things we're finding out is people have forgotten about children's passports, which obviously have a, a shorter shelf life than adult passports. And again, check your passport. Is your passport up to date? Is your, are your children's passports in date? Because again, there was a, a serious backlog of over 80,000 passports uh, delayed during the pandemic. They're working through uh, to clear that backlog at the moment. So, these are That's good advice. How many people have actually checked their passports in the last year and a half? Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people haven't travelled for a year and a half, and possibly even two years now. So, again, check your passport. Is it up to date? Look look at the children's passports, because, again, some of them only have a, a three-year um, a shelf life, so they, they, they need to be um, reapplied for uh, new photographs. Got, uh, obviously, as children have got older and so forth. So there's a little bit more homework and preparation to be done for international travel over the, the next short while. Um, but it's great to see routes uh, starting to be restored. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, and thank you for the extended interview here because we are getting a lot of interest. People are really, uh, they really want to get planning here. Here's a question, and I know this isn't your area, but maybe you could comment. After July 19th, when travel is restored, do you think that PCR tests or antigen tests, whatever is the international uh, ruling there, are, will be still required when travelling? Well, I'd say we're, we're not the competent authority on that. It's a prerogative for, for government and the Department of Health to, to set the guidelines in in regards to, obviously, health and well-being of the, the nation. Um, so, again, you know, we'll see, obviously, how that pans out over the, the coming weeks mm. and months. Okay. But, obviously, 
government are, are making key decisions and obviously trying to reopen the economy and reopen uh, the country for international tourism as well and, and hospitality. So uh, I'm sure people should, should just stay close to, to news on, on those fronts so, o- over the next short while. Okay, specific question here. I'm due to fly to London Stansted on the 10th of July to see family. I am fully vaccinated, but I am travelling with my two daughters, 11 and 14 years of age. Does Kevin think I'll still be able to fly? Well, at the moment, you, you can fly unhindered from, from Ireland to the UK, but coming back from the UK, um, the Irish government has restrictions for, for self-isolation in place. So again, just Look up dfa.ie and just become familiar, you know, what's expected uh, when you return from the UK to Ireland in terms of just um, self-isolation at home. Uh, And then obviously, I think if you take a a PCR test on day five, you can be uh, excused the rest of that self-isolation. But again, that information is... It's changing all the time. Um, So what I say today could well change tomorrow. So again, you know, be... DFA.ie, I can't say it frequently enough because uh, they are keeping that site uh, fully updated um, literally uh, on a daily basis as, as the situation improves around the globe. Okay, why did you start flights again out of Cork when you're closing for three months very soon? As I say, you know, if rebuilding a runway uh, over 2.1 kilometres long uh, is it's a very significant construction project. Bear in mind, construction of this nature um, was suspended during the pandemic, so we were impeded by that. Um, also, given the, the volume of investment um, involved here, we had to go through a very extensive EU procurement process um, to, to obviously appoint a contractor. So that work would have begun after the design phase was done last summer to the autumn. Uh, government funding was only secured pre-Christmas, uh, and we'll be in a position to appoint the contractor uh, subject to board approval uh, this month. Uh, and a lot of preparatory work is already going on uh, and will be done uh, without impacting on flights uh, up until the 13th of September. Yeah, OK, I think the, point, the point of the text was, Kevin, uh, what's the point of starting flights out of Cork for such a short time? I would imagine the answer there in general is to give people the chance to fly for the summer. Exactly. June, July, August are the peak summer months. It's where ordinarily we're at our busiest. Obviously, we're not as busy this summer as we would have been in 2019 and beyond and before that. Um, but we do want to give people the opportunity, you know, to take a well-earned break over the peak summer months uh, when obviously children are off on school holidays over those months, June, July, August. Um, we'll still be open for the first two weeks of September. Um, but we had to pick a 10-week period when we would, you know, m- you know, bring the disruption to our passengers and our airlines, uh, who all fully agree with the approach we're taking, by the way. We've, we've engaged extensively with them since last uh, last year on this. I said, no option uh, gives us zero inconvenience. This gives sure. us the minimum disruption. It's understandable and fantastic, as I said, to get clarity on that. Is it possible to go into the airport to meet family at arrivals? At the moment, uh, our advice is that only passengers with a valid boarding pass should be going into the terminal. Um, again, that's just to protect everyone, obviously, to, to minimise the number of people in the terminal and to, to maintain the two-metre social distance that's still in place. Uh, and obviously, face coverings are, are highly recommended to our passengers um, full travel from the time they enter the terminal to the fine 
till they get to their final destination. So for the moment, to try and keep numbers down and to keep everyone safe, our advice is that uh, only passengers should be entering the terminal. But obviously, if somebody needs assistance um, with, with check-in or, you know, if somebody accompanying them to the airport needs sure. to come in, um, you know, on uh, humanitarian grounds alone, we'd, we'd, we'd obviously um, facilitate that. Uh, and obviously our partners, OCS, that, that provides additional services to anyone that requires additional assistance uh, have remained in, in place throughout the pandemic and they're, they're there to help and assist also. Okay, fi- finally, Kevin, the bus routes to Dublin Airport for long haul have become popular as a communications officer for the airport. How would you appeal to the people of Cork now uh, to once again underpin this vital service and support your airport, our airport? Yeah, it's look. It's 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 our international airport. It's 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 our local international airport, and it needs support. And you know, as I say, prior to this devastating pandemic, you know, we had two point six million passengers going through us um, in twenty nineteen. We were the fastest going on the island. Um, you know, I say serving well over fifty routes with nine airlines. We want to rebuild our network back up to those lofty heights with our airline partners. This encouraging news of the reopening routes is the the first sign that you know hopefully we're at the beginning of the end of the pandemic, um, and we need everyone's support. You know the airlines need your business and they welcome it. We appreciate it. Um, and look, we, we we just look forward to welcoming everyone back soon. We we've, we've missed people while they've been away, um, and not abroad, by the way, but just at home and unable to travel. So. As uh, as the country and as the world starts to reopen again, we'll we'll be here to serve the people of Cork and right across the south of Ireland. Okay, Kevin, thanks a million. What's the runway costing, by the way, in the millions, obviously? Uh, It's in the tens of millions. We haven't signed contracts yet, so obviously I I, I can't for commercial reasons. In in the tens of millions, generally. It's in the tens of millions. And when you add, you know, we've also invested 12 million on our baggage security system uh, over the last six months. That's nearing completion now. Fabulous. You know, Kevin, it's it's been great talking to you. Fabulous clarity uh, on on a lot of issues and whetting the appetite of the the people of Cork and beyond to travel once again through Cork Airport. Kevin Cullinan, Communications Officer uh, with Cork Airport, thank you very much. My pleasure, Mick. Thanks. Good morning. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Very enlightening conversation there with Kevin Cullinan of Cork Airport. And we're all looking forward to a little bit of international travel, I think. Now, New Look has defended their padded bikini range for nine-year-old girls after mums claim they sexualized children. New Look has defended its range of padded bikinis for girls as young as nine after facing accusations that it sexualized children. Uh, not just from John and Clon, but this is a happening across the UK as well, as was evident in that Kerry Katona interview yesterday. It comes after a photo of, of a bikini set shared by an angry and baffled mother was retweeted by a feminist campaign group, Object, reported uh, the Mirror newspaper. It's hard enough shopping for my daughters in New Look with the insistence on all the tops being cropped out, but padded bikini bras, tweeted Vicky Snowden. Padded bikinis for nine-year-olds, really? I was so angry and just baffled at the same time, added Vicky. Vicky, uh, just why? I complained about it to the girl and uh, asked uh, her to take them down in the shop, but uh, they didn't. Commenting on Object's tweet, Louise Hersey said, girls just don't stand a chance of childhood, do they? However, other mums have defended the bikini. Commenting on a Facebook post by Wales Online, one said, for goodness sake, why is it these days that everyone has to conform to one opinion? If a child is self-conscious of her developing body and feels happier with a padded garment, then why does she have to go without that? Because it's been withdrawn from sale because of the opinion of someone else uh, it, uh, who feels it is not age-appropriate. The debate continues, but we have news at 10 on the way on The Neil Prendival Show. 
Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. You're listening to the Emerald Award-winning Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prendival Show and good morning to Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Now, you're originally from Albania. Oh, yes. You're from Albania. It's a lovely place. Been there once. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, how long are you here in Ireland, Eddie? Uh, six years and a half already now. Okay, and you're living in direct provision. Yeah. Now, many of us, I suppose all of us have heard of direct provision. Many of us have driven past the properties where direct provision is supplied and provided. Uh, we have one in close proximity to to where we work ourselves. But not many people know what goes on behind those doors and those gates. Can you give me a little no, insight? Not in, many, really, that's, that's true. Can, can you give me a little insight as to what goes in in a direct provision centre? What goes on? Oh, look, there goes on everything and nothing, really, you know, in one way. It's a hard, it's a hard living, really, you know. You can imagine living... I have a, a wife, two kids, so you can imagine living in one room for six years and a half. Wow. And you came here to Ireland with no English six years ago? Uh, No, I tried. I did my best to to learn learn the English first thing, you know, just to be able to to talk to people. Okay. And to make a good friend. Can you read? Can you write? Oh, I read and write English and not only. I I read and write Italian as well. My language, of course. Okay, you have two children here. One was uh, born here three years ago. The other one is eight. So it was born yeah. before you came here. Uh, they don't speak your language now. I suppose their, their native no, language they, now is English. No, they is don't. Their, their, their first language is English. Mm-hmm. They, they understand a bit more, like, because uh, we speak with my wife. We speak their, we speak our language. They, they won't, they won't answer you back. Like, they, they will answer you in English. Okay. So what does the direct provision center provide you with? Oh, the the living they are like kind of they call it direct provision, but really in one way it's kind of it's, it's like a jail really you know it's like living for six years and a half in a prison which you have no no freedom in one way like you know you of course we are we are free to get out and to to go and that like you know but the other way like it's living for six years and a half doing a somebody's life not yours like yes, in one way okay. like, you didn't expect life like to to deliver you this set of cards, you're here in Ireland. Are, are you are you able to work? Do you work? Uh, no, that's the, that's another thing. Like, uh, uh, sorry, my language like a stupid law which they did here because like uh, you have uh, you have uh, other people who they come here and after six months they have a right to work. But I have six years and a half here, and I'm not allowed to work. Like, you're not allowed to work. I I can't sit just home. Like, I'm not the kind of person just sitting there like and. Waiting, you know. So, what do you do? Oh, I do a bit uh, tree surgery. I do a bit tree surgery with with a couple leads here in Cork. How oh, I said, I can't just sit home because I would I would like like to go to be able to work to pay my taxes and like like everybody like you know and trying to build a life like but. From six years and a half, I'm just living the day. Like that's all what I do. So day by day, I hear you've you've got a big heart, and that you split up some of the 
the trees into logs and sticks and, oh, and look, give them I, to people? I do it many times, like uh, for for some people who I know there. I live in, I have the, I'm lucky I live in the best town in Europe, so sometimes get them logs back with me and cotton split them and give it to friends or people who I know and who they have a bit need. Okay. Uh, why aren't you allowed to work? Is it, you can't get a work permit, is it? Uh, I can't get it because, like, the first ones who they came here, like, you know, I mean, six years and a half ago, and when you already have a, a negative answer, after that, you are not anymore able to go to the market for work. But uh, the ones who they come now or even eight months or a year ago, like, them after six months, they can apply with you in six months. You have no time, like, to get the... takes a bit longer to get your interview from the government. So then they are allowed to work. They can they can apply because they didn't they don't have their interview yet. So they can apply for a work permit after six months they are here uh-huh. and they get straight away the work permit. But us we are allowed to live here but not to work. Okay, I'm just gonna read from the text you sent in because it's just indicative of the big heart that you have. I hear your show <clears throat> nearly every day and I like when people do something nice for people who need help for whatever is so I would like to give a small smile on the face of someone who need. I don't have much and it is not the time maybe, but I have a full ton bag of wood which I would like to give it and deliver it to someone who really is in need for next winter. And yeah, uh, if I can finish, the uh, the next piece is, is, is the same sort of generosity. And here you go. And I will have the same bag a few weeks' time. For someone else, if you have or ask someone who needs, I will be more than happy to do that. And returning to the direct provision, I will like to say to the Irish people, who they are so friendly with me, because I've been educated for my family to treat the people in the same way you would like to be treated. But sometimes I hear, even in your air, oh, direct provisions, they are this, they do that, etc. Not everyone is same, like not all the Irish people are same. Uh, that's your wonderful English. I'm reading it out as it was, um, but it does show the huge heart that you have, Eddie. A ton and a, and a second ton of firewood to those who might be in need and who might be feeling the cold next winter. Thank you so much. I, I will. We will see if we can find people in, in need who would take that very kind-hearted gesture from you, Eddie. Is, is, is there any hope at all of getting a work permit? Because I'm sure there are many people listening here who would love to really, employ a man like you. I don't know, really. You know, I didn't. I didn't hear from a long time for that and uh, you know like in one way I lost my hope on that so I didn't even bother anymore like you know because you know after six years and a half you you kind of start getting not only forgetting like you know but just you don't bother anymore like you know yeah but don't don't feel that down please because that will transmit to your children uh, oh look I, I live for them so I try to do my best for them I don't, how I said, I don't live nearly anymore for myself, like, you know, so. And do you have gardening skills or, or is it just tree surgery skills? What well, other I, skills I do, do you have? I do a bit of all that. Sorry? I do a bit of all that together, like. Mm-hmm. So. Fantastic. Um, but, uh, I don't know what to say. It is, you're in direct provision. This country is looking after you. You're so happy with the, the people of Ireland and the way they're treating you. But yet, for oh, whatever... I love Ireland, really. For whatever red tape, you can't get the work permit that would allow you to properly provide for your family. But yet, your big heart still wants to give something back. Something enormous, like a ton of timber, twice. Look, for what I got, I, I would like to give something back. So, 
Of course, I, I won't mind that. I just feel so sad that you can't develop as you know, a working man to better your position and provide better for your family and that. And uh, I just wonder how somebody like you could get or would be entitled to a work permit. Um, you're not allowed into the system to work and pay tax. Is that is that the situation? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. I wonder then if there's anybody listening who may be able to shed some light on this and maybe move along or process an application for you to to allow your kind nature to serve the country that's serving you. The Ireland we live in. Eddie, I'm, I'm touched by your story and I'm touched by your generosity and I can only wish you all the very best. Thank you. Thank you so much. And... Uh is why I love your show, and when I when I can, when I have my days, like when I can hear it, like I I really love it. So thank you very much. Uh, please stay in touch, and we wish you all the best. Thanks to you. Thank you very much for your time, and I wish you same. Thank you very much, Eddie. Oh, what a big-hearted man who just can't get to work in Ireland because of whatever bureaucratic process is stopping him getting the work permit. And he's in direct provision. He's got a big heart and he wants to and intends to and we'll help him to give something back. There will be warm Irish citizens this winter in two households because of the big heart of Eddie from Albania. And you can call the program one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. You can text us on zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six or text Neil at redfm dot ie by text. The system is outrageous here. I wrote many an email to Antonishta. We need a visa control department and tougher legislation at airports, etc., uh, as you would find in the USA or Australia. We are too small a country to sustain, says Shona. I'm not sure if that's about the airport uh, interview we did or about Eddie. Uh, enough is enough. It's time to close their, these upgraded prisons. People are people. I'm not saying give them a council house, but uh, get them on the council list, but rent allowance and let them live their lives. Uh, them lock-up days should be over. And we have a very special happy birthday to mention. I want to do it before things get on top of me or I forget. So please, 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 Mick, can you please wish my son, Sean Kremen Kinsley, a very happy 21st birthday. I've been on air with you on numerous occasions regarding services available to children on the ASD spectrum. I have to say I love Sean to bits. He has taught me so much, but I'm a single mother and it's been so hard raising a boy with severe autism. Hats off to all the single parents in the same situation. I've done my best for Sean all down the years and had help from yourself and listeners and I will continue to do the same for the next 21 years. We love you to bits, Sean. Always will be there for you. Lots of love from Grandad John, Nana Anne and Mam Hazel. So a very happy 21st birthday to Sean Kremen Kinsley, from all of your family and all your friends and all of those who love you. Let's go to line one and to Martin. Hi, Martin. Morning, mate. You'd like to take the timber from Eddie, would you? I would buy it, indeed. Do you need it? I do, I do. All right. Can you turn down the radio, Martin? I will, yeah. yeah thanks, because it's... Do uh, you need it? It's just going to feed back and it's, uh, it's a little delayed. Uh, uh, tell me how things are tough with you at the moment. Um, if I just listen to kids now and you know day to day things like they get bigger and bigger you know mm-hmm. I have no I get no financial support for no one like you know and is it harder in the winter then to keep them warm than that it is yeah it is it is by to be honest ok you know you're living with your daughter and with three grandchildren I took my daughter my daughter in and uh, my three grandchildren when I went there uh, speaking ok it's my grandson Okay. I'm on the phone away, baby. Come now. Hello? Yeah, you have a busy house? I have, I have. I have, I have. Okay, so uh, is there any 
option or is there any recourse to getting some employment or any other financial benefits or any well, other? I'm after getting full health tax so I'm on disability, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can't work. Pardon? You can't work. I can't work, no. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's feeding back again, Mark. Would you just turn off the radio altogether? I would like yeah, thanks a million. Yeah, okay. Okay, that's brilliant. Thanks a million. Okay, and and you're living with your daughter and three grandchildren. Children. Is is there anybody working in the house? Pardon? Is there anybody? Is there any revenue coming into the house from anybody working? Or no, no, no. All right. Uh, so you have tough times. Okay. Well, look, we'll we'll ask Eddie if he'd consider to give you the timber. What problem? Why? I'd be, I'd be appreciative of All right, Martin. Enough. We have your details. Thanks a million. Okay, God bless you, boy. Thank thanks. you. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Not uh, by text. Direct provision is more than they deserve. They came here illegally. Uh, all these illegal asylum seekers should be turned around at point of entry or deported if found here. The vast majority have no skills and very low levels of education, no benefit to our economy, only drains in our economy. Um, I'm not sure in any way uh, that Eddie came here illegally. He's possibly here very legally and being legally um, supported indirect provision by the state but uh, you're welcome to your comment direct provision uh, provision is more than they deserve I suppose if they came here illegally would uh, put a finer point in it all these illegal asylum seekers should be turned around at the port of entry says our texter and uh, we have uh, other business of the day of course text still coming in on the bikinis for nine year olds it's going to rumble on I think the preteen age for young women can be so rough Let's not jump on every bandwagon and trust parents and preteens and teenagers to make choices that work for them. I remember stuffing my bra with toilet paper for a teen disco when I was 12. I'd have been so happy with a padded bra back then, rather than the embarrassment of that toilet paper falling out on the dance floor. Uh, There have been so many other issues going on right now. This seems like an anon issue to me. Uh, said Tracy. I took a little wander around Kinsale yesterday, had to go there to uh, meet a guy for lunch and uh, when we heard of the uh, incident of the car going in by the pier uh, I actually left here a little early and went down uh, and had a lovely lunch sat outside Cafe Salvi and watched the world go by everything was cleared up as regards the car incident uh, when I got there but having spent a bit of time in Kinsale during the pandemic and being up and down, uh, it was amazing to see the buzz uh, back in what was uh, up to recently a very quiet place to be and uh, nice to see the Blue Haven open. I can see that the uh, the White Ladies open for, for takeaway. And wandering along the town, uh, I want to give credit to Anthony Collins, who's uh, revamped the White... Uh, sorry, the White House is open for takeaway. I'm uh, getting mixed up with the White House and the White Lady. But uh, the White Lady, uh, I found Anthony Collins as I strolled by, setting up his tables and his uh, uh, big cable drums and barrels for what was essentially a slanty walk-up to a nightclub. Put it that way and is now transformed into probably the most trendy barbecue and uh, drinking area uh, in the town. So well done to all concerned. And I wandered around over to the uh, the dock bar, which just has been open after extended closure, uh, and found it's a lovely uh, canopy and that kind of thing. And uh, Sarah and all her staff there were so welcoming as well. It was driving, so we could only have a coffee. Uh, but Kinsale is back, and Kinsale is buzzing. We're back to the Neil Prendeville Show. Calls and comments in a moment. This is the Neil Prendeville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. 25 past 10. This is Mick Mulcahy. A very good morning to you. Now, Hazel is on line six. Good morning, Hazel. 
Hello. Hi, now you are from Street Angels Homeless Group. We spoke to Nikki yesterday about a particular case. Of course, no names were ever mentioned. Uh, but we have been tracking since I came on the show last Monday week the progress of uh, a man, a young enough man, I believe, I don't know anything else about him, who was uh, trying to bridge the gap, really, between uh, coming out of hospital and going into treatment. You actually took him to that treatment yesterday. Is that correct? That's right, yes. So no, thank you very very much for your involvement and, and for dovetailing things with Nikki. So he's beginning a difficult journey now, but hopefully a positive one. A positive one, yes. Um, I have got a lot of guys into rehab. A lot of them have been success. And, you know, when they want it, you, ha- you know in your heart the, re- the ones that actually really want it. So they cry out to you and they keep persisting on ringing you. And when you see that, you know then they're ready for us. Okay. What and what does Street Angels Homeless Group do, Hazel? Uh, Street Angels Homeless Group, um, myself and my husband, I've been working with homeless guys for the last nine, ten years. And I've always wanted to run my own. And the guys on the street used to call me the Street Angel. Because if you want something, ask Hazel. she gets it and was known as the cake lady as well. Um, I was working with all the groups seven nights a week. And um, so I started in September 2019 and I have built it up with uh, amazing volunteers. And um, I just love to be able to give them a chance just to give them hope love and show that people care and we do want to try and change them so we set up our tables on a Monday night outside the Savoy and we get um, great businesses donate the food there's Colin um, from Cronenbrough or Tobin and Top of the hill, got there's so many now. We have three different Donatellos, Novo, Cento, um, Domino's, uh, all for our pizzas. They donate pizzas to us every week. I'd love if you give us a full list of people who support you, Hazel, because they're doing it without requesting publicity. And I'd love to flip that around and give them the publicity, a little bit I, of and credit. I, I really think so, yeah. Well, there, there's, as I said, Colin Tobin is amazing. He came on board back in December when I was on. A lady was, um, after being um, put out of Simon, and she found herself on the street. And without I knowing her, I just rang in and I said, look, I'll put her up in a and b for three nights. And then Neil rang me. And from there, then Colin contacted us and said um, he's been following our page and our website. And um, he'd love to get on board with us. And Nairi Curtin then um, is with him and he brings down the, he cooks roast dinners every Monday night. Then we have, um, I have to bring up the list. Sorry, now my head. Um, There's, um, as I said, there are four lots of um, pizzas. There's Donatello's. There's... um, Domino's, um, Novo Centre, McCartan Street, and Oak Park Pizza, Siobhan, 
um, is in there and she's one of our volunteers as well and they're in Princess Street. Then we have uh, Fitzpatrick in Glantan gives us um, their food every evening. Uh, you have Massey Town in their, near Paul Street and they give us their food that they're finished with, you know, be, just before they close. We have also, we have other people, you know, in Mallow, where I live alone, we have Nora Reardon and her 95-year-old wow. mother, and she makes our goodie bags. She has been doing that since we started, all through the lockdown. You get, you done an interview with her as well. Amazing lady. And um, we have Mary Buckley in Boeing. Meelan, sorry, Meelan. And she makes us hot um, roast dinners. And she makes, lately now, she's doing chicken wraps because wow. that's what she's asked us for. Yeah, Meelan, Meelan, that's up high, isn't it? Doesn't Meelan claim to have the highest pub in Ireland? I think it's a rival no, to Johnny Fox's. It's the ha- No, Meelan is the highest village in Ireland. Yeah, doesn't it have the highest pub then? No, that's above in Wicklow, jo- I Johnny think. Fox's, is it? Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. claiming it as well, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Now, let, let's get so, back to this, the serious stuff, Hazel. Uh, to yeah. all intents and purposes, the homeless issue uh, has disappeared from the media in the last 15 months because of the pandemic and the uh, the absolute saturation of on the airwaves and in, in printed press, maybe not so much in printed press. Um, the, the homeless issue has suffered a lack of coverage, shall we say, that has maybe taken it a little bit out of the public consciousness. Um, but the homeless okay. issue has not gone away. No, and it's bigger and larger than life now. There is more. And, you know, when I started 10 years ago, it was mostly elderly we were catering for. But it's so sad that it's all, it's very young. Homeless people are coming to our runs. And they're between the ages of, 18 and 25 and they would make up about 60-70% of the amount we'd feed, we'd feed on average over 100 every Monday night and wow. we between them coming to our table and there's others that won't come to the table due to they don't want to bump into Johnny or Mary in case arguments start so they'd stay away but I'd have two or three groups of volunteers going to different streets and bring the food to them and the tea and the coffee and they love their hot chocolate with their marshmallows and cream. Wow, is is it worse (laughs) on a bank holiday weekend? Yeah, yeah because um you think everybody, you know, the insect is people are away, but um, it was a, it was only a down. I'd say about ten percent this Monday night, and um, but every Monday night is busy. But most people think people won't be out on a Monday night, but we we go out every Monday night throughout. We used to do it every second Monday, and it's got that busy that we have to do every Monday. 
Okay, well, well done, Hazel, for everything that you do. And I know you're mentioning Colin Tobin. That's Colin Tobin of Tobin's in Grona Broher, who's very good to you, as well as all the other uh, people and that you mentioned the there. Others, yeah, and I apologize. Um, just off my head, I have, I'd have to have it written down. Do you know, there's that many supporting me. Well, if, if you send that in to us, we'll make sure that every single person gets the oh, mention that they, that they deserve. They haven't asked for it, but we'll publicise them and no, their big heart. and I, I feel that is why I'm so grateful because people know I'm genuine and everything I get goes directly to it's not just the homeless. We I have uh, volunteers that go to the emergency accommodation. We provide food hampers to anyone, it, they don't have to be homeless. They could be struggling, paying their bills and trying to keep the roof over their heads and find the hard to put food on the table. One, one final question for you, Hazel, and this came in by text, right? See if you can answer this one for me, please. It's great to see the effort that street angels are making, but the amount of waste food and rubbish that's been left on the streets after the homeless get it uh, from them is a disgrace. It's destroying the city. Could you comment on that? Um, we always pick up our rubbish after each run. We we actually have a guy that goes around, picks up all the rubbish and makes sure the street is clean after we... And um, we do put some into the bin and the council come along and take it away. Okay. But I, I always make sure the space that we take up is always clean when we leave it. Okay. Uh, and what about the the food you hand out around the streets? Are you sure that that's not been just not been dumped well, there? Well, I mean, we hand it out now. I I don't feel we can take responsibility for if they dump it. It's the individual person. Yes. Okay. And that's what that's what's you know. been asked. But that's that's clarity um, anyway. I can't be responsible for what they do with what we. You can't do everything. Them. You're do, you're doing your best, and you're doing a hell of we're a lot. Tra- we're trying to. They go away with bags of stuff. We provide, um, you know, clothes. We provide toiletries. We provide hot and cold food. And, you know, we, um, we're we doing our best. I mean, it mightn't be what a lot of people might like. You under- I understand, but you're doing your best. Hazel, it's been great to oh, talk to you, and well best. done. Well done to everything yeah. you're doing with the Street Hi. Angels Homeless Group. We're also doing a fundraiser there um, the 17th of July. If anyone wants to get involved, it's Climbing Karen Tuhill in Kerry. Um, it's a fundraiser, and all the money raised by sponsor. Um, but those that are doing it... Um, goes to Street Angels. Okay, and how, how do people access that charitable they, event? They can contact us on our phone number, which is 085-775-7986, or contact our webpage, it's um, Street Angels, in, info at streetangels.ie. Okay. Uh, thanks, Hazel. Thank, thanks for everything. Thanks, okay. Thanks, bye-bye. Now, I want to move on to Jeff. Jeff, good morning to you. Morning, Neil. It's Mick, actually. Could, could, do you mind if you hold on for a minute? Because I want to have a good long run at talking to you and get to the crux of the issue. So, do you mind holding on an extra couple of minutes? And we'll come straight oh, back no. to you. Thanks a million. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Coming up on 20 minutes to 11. Jeff, thanks for holding. Good morning to you. 
Morning. Uh, we're going to get kind of to the crux of the homeless issue here by, if you don't mind, using your personal situation maybe as a as a window to look into into that life. Um, you were homeless since 16, coming from a broken family. Yeah, I know not the streets since 16, yeah. Come from a broken family. But, like, I went down... I went down the road I thought I'd never go down I started off with drinking weed and I just progressed and the way I was carrying on around the streets with my drinking wasn't I wasn't able to, to hold a few drinks down me without getting into trouble or doing things just to survive to get me through the days you know it's, it is tough being on the streets home it's like you know yeah what's what's the longest part of, of a, a 24 hours on, on the street is it the daytime or the nighttime? Both, to be honest. Like, if you're in the Simon there and you're in the nightlife, you're being thrown out at 7 o'clock in the morning. So you're walking around till 1 o'clock to get in, sit down, have something to eat, get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. And then you're thrown back out then till 11 at night. And you go back down to the back gate then at 5 o'clock, you get a dinner. And then you're walking the streets again for another six hours to get in for the night and throw them back out then 7 o'clock in the morning again. And, and that's essentially it, a lot of walking around, ambling around doing nothing, is it? Yeah, it is a lot of walking around like in, as, on the streets. There's nothing for you to do. Only drink and take drugs and get into trouble. And how, how do you fund the drinking and the drugs? By stealing? <laughs> stealing, tapping, getting loans. That You're getting loans knowing that you can't pay back them loans. So you're getting yourself into debt, and then you're getting drugs on tick, which is running up even more of a, a debt. So, and, and a danger of retribution, I imagine. Yeah, you know, there is a lot of danger in it, like, you know, because it's very easy to run up a bill, and mm-hmm. you know deep down that you can't pay that bill, but you're just addicted to drugs, mm-hmm. and all you know is drugs, so... In my, in my experience, all I did was just take drugs to get me through the day, to take me away from my own mind. And did that start as young as young as sixteen, Jeff? What is sorry, say that again? Did it, did that start as young as sixteen with you? I started with the drugs at uh, about eleven. Eleven. That was my smoke. That was my smoking weed. Okay. And, so, and, and was there stuff going on at home you just wanted to blot out, and you just wanted a bit of escapism, or what? Yeah, there was issues at home, and yeah. I was causing a lot of issues at home as well. And I did things in the house by self-harming and trying to take my own life, doing anything I could. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. So I would have done anything to get myself out of it. But oh, there must have been someone looking down at me like, with the things I've done to myself and that I'm still here today. They're to still here story, and like. you're still brave enough to talk about it. I suppose inevitably, going back to the start of your story, your, your actions uh, led to some prison time. Yeah, I've been in and out of prison the last seven years. All small sentences, drinking on the street and robbing, criminal damage, doing things that I never thought I'd do. Like I'm not that, I'm not that person anymore. You know? Yeah. A report. I think I think it was on the front of the Echo today. Said that prison time is preferable for a lot of homeless people. They commit offences to get that roof over their heads and the three square meals a day. Would Would you believe any of that? Yeah, I would. Yeah, there's people on the streets that just had enough. You know, they can't stick it anymore. Oh, it's a lot of walking around, like it's a lot of hours on the streets, you know, and you're dealing with your own problems. If there's no one there you can talk to about your problems, you might be comfortable talking about your problems or you don't know one knowing your problems, you get me? Mm-hmm. So, 
No, I just the constant battle, like just to survive. To be honest, like mm-hmm. so. And of course, there's there's no option to get a job. Or would you have had any desire to get a job when you could? You know, is it the is it the path of least resistance? The easiest way is to stay on the streets and do your bit of begging, do your bit of tapping. No, like I, to be honest with you, Neil, I didn't have the confidence to do up a CV because I have nothing to put on the CV. And then with my background, then with the prison and the courts, and you know, so I just a lot of I'm, I'm doing a lot of self doubt now myself. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I just say I'm not good enough and all that, but things are starting to look off me, to be honest. You know, yeah, to be honest and, and, and I want to highlight that part as, as we go through the interview, but did, did you have access to drugs in jail? I had access to drugs in jail, yeah, and hooch, making your own drink in jail. How can you make your own drink in jail with a still? Oranges, sugar, and uh, yeast out of the bread. Put it on really? the pipe and leave the heat, cook it up, yeah. I didn't know that. You learn a lot of... You, there's a lot of things you learn in jail that you wouldn't learn on the streets as well. You know, so jail saves a lot of people, but it ruins a lot of people in the same way, if you get me. Yeah. Uh, and how were you treated in jail? Was it, was it, a, was it a respite from, from the streets? Was it, a, was it a welcome change? Or did you feel imprisoned as you were? Like, like when you're on the streets, you have fear on the streets and the way you're carrying on in the streets, which you're drinking and you're drugging and arguing with people. And then when you're going to jail, you have that fear Am I going to be arguing? Am I going to bump into this? Am I going to be arguing with him? Am I, or, no, there's a lot of fear, to be honest. You know what I mean? Because in my, in my past, like, my drink didn't suit me. I was drinking and just shouting and roaring, fighting with people and doing things I never thought I'd do, to be honest. Yeah. And, and you ended up in rehab more than once. Yeah, I, I tried rehab a few times. I completed Brewery last year. I done seven and a half months up there. I went to a transition house, met a girl, and relapsed with that girl. Okay. So then I ended up back to square one. And square one is what? Heroin? Back in heroin, crack, tablets, drink, weed, everything you can name, I did. I'm not ashamed to say it either. Like that, that's my story. That's my background. Mm-hmm. You know? So how did you manage to get off heroin? Let's start looking at the positive side of your story now. I went to Rima a couple of weeks ago. I, I, no, before I went to Rima, I lost a friend of mine to an overdose of drugs. Two weeks after that, after he's dead, I went off to heroin. And I was off that three weeks. I went up to Rima, Tipperary, for three weeks, and I left. I came out and... I just never looked back. I don't want to go back to the way I was. So you did three weeks on your own and three weeks in Remar, is it? Yeah. Okay. How does a guy come off heroin? It's meant to be probably the hardest thing to do. I went cold turkey before I went into Remar. What was that like? It's tough. You know, yeah. pains in the body, can't hold on food or water. You know, and I was homeless at that stage as well, so the cold wasn't really helping it with the pain in the joints and that like. Mm-hmm. But there's someone looking down at me and I just just said I had enough. No, I don't want to carry on my life like that because I know if I go back to the way I was, I wouldn't give myself six months. Yeah. Be straight up about it. And the survival instinct kicks in. You say, I want to live. I don't want to die. Yeah, there's a purpose for me there today because when I look back at my... You know, the Fed said already, I cut my throat twice. I took overdoses. I threw myself in the rivers. I done anything I could 
trying to get out of my own skin. But, and I, I'm still shocked today that I'm still above ground and breathing, able to tell my story. As, you know, they, as they say in poker, Jeff, when you have a chip and a chair, you're still in the game, you know? I'll say that again, sorry? In, in poker, if you have a chip and a chair, you're still in. You're still, still, a, in, you, yeah. you're still a something to trade off, you know? Uh, yeah. So are yeah. you off tablets? Everything, yeah. Are you off smoking? The hash and the weed? And the yeah. crack? Yeah, everything. Oh, and, and I think what, you know, what's a little strange for me is that you're still able to take the odd drink, but it, it doesn't let you slide into the other stuff, does it? No, I don't, no. I, I has the limits on my drinking, because I know if I go over that limit, then the thoughts will come into my head with the drugs. And the, the drink is a gateway. You no, know, it gives you that extra bit of confidence. So yeah. it has a limit, but I used to drink all day, every day. But I don't do that no more. Okay. You no, know, and then I, I'm actually coming off the drink myself now. I'm off and out the last couple of days, and... I just had enough with the drinking the drugs need to be quite honest. I caused a lot of problems at home. I caused a lot of problems myself. And I caused people on street a lot of problems as well, you know? Yeah, it, it's it's going to be an uphill battle, Jeff. Uh, and even if you can still manage to take the odd drink and stay off the other stuff, it's going to be an amazing achievement. But what, what do you hope to achieve with your life if you stay clean, essentially clean? Just get a job, Neil. Just live a normal life and do normal things like normal people do instead of coming and drinking, taking drugs and all the chaos and the trouble that comes with us. Yeah. No, so, I just want to sit back and just enjoy the rest of my life while I can enjoy it. Because yeah. with the drinking the drugs, it's no life, to be quite honest with you. So get a job, maybe your own place, do a little saving, yeah. maybe a little travelling. With the help of God, anyway, Neil. That's my plan, yeah. that's my goal. I'm not, ex- I'm not setting my expectations too high in case I don't meet that expectation and I go back to the rest. So... Oh. All I can say, Jeff, is it, it, took, it takes a brave man to come on radio and, and say all of those things and, and, you know, to bear your soul like that publicly. Yeah. And, and I, I, I hope you can use that as kind of a, a foundation to say, look what I've achieved today. I, I, I was open and honest about my situation. Uh, I'm still taking the odd drink, but I'm off the heroin. I'm off the crack. I'm off the, the weed. I'm off the hash. I'm off the tablets. Yeah, it is. No, it's a, it's a good feeling. I have that peace of mind in myself today. Like before, I wouldn't have that peace of mind. I'd be always thinking of the past or, or where am I going to get the next drink or the drug before I go to sleep at night and thinking about the money for the next morning to get that money to get to cure myself so I wouldn't be sick. Yeah. You know, so it's just a constant battle and it's tiring, it's draining. You know, I had alopecia from stress. I got psoriasis from stress. And... Like, I just have that peace of mind today. I'm able to sit down and talk about my problems without going red in the face or panic. There's, there's, a, guy, there's a guy in Cork, um, Jeff, and I, I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning his name. He developed a cure for alopecia, uh, and it's Mick Moriarty, the Baldy Barber. Uh, and I know he dealt, if I remember correctly, either with Princess Diana or one of the royal family anyway and helped them with their alopecia. So maybe we could put you guys in touch and that would be a, another little... Oh, um, I, I, I had the alopecia, but I got rid of it. I got ointment. In um, Brory last year, and thank God it worked. You know, so it's done. So yeah, okay, it can, it can come back. Like, but well, keep Mick Moriarty in mind, the Baldy Barber. He may be able to help you. I'm not sure if he still does the cure, but I know he developed something that was uh, that was quite remarkable in its time. Jeff, I can only wish you all the very best. Um, you must be very proud of where you are now, com- coming from where you did come from. Uh, and you know, yeah. you, you you can look at distant horizons now, and, and and the sun shining there, and hopefully you'll get a job. 
hopefully you'll get your own place and, uh, you know, hopefully you'll still be able to take the odd drink uh, and, and enjoy that too, you know, without over-consuming and, you know, without yeah. over-excess. But there's one thing I can say, I didn't do this on my own. With the help of street angels, they bent over backwards for me, you know. They they did, they done a lot of things for me and I'm grateful for that. So it's just my turn out just to give back what they gave me. Well done. And pay it forward to somebody else. Maybe help somebody else. That could be another step in the road yeah. to recovery, you know? Yeah, that's true. Well done, Jeff. Thanks well, a million for coming on the air this morning. Well, well, so thanks. well done. And uh, you should be very proud of yourself. Thanks, Jeff. Let's go to Michael Gearan in, uh, in Brewery, Brewery Senior Counselor. Michael, we've spoken before. You're working at the Coonver Treatment Centre. There's an explosion in numbers seeking help for addiction during the coronavirus pandemic. Tell us about that. Hello, Michael. No, we don't sorry, see. Mick. Sorry, can, sorry. Can you hear me now? I can sorry hear you now. That. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a, um, an, ex, an explosion in numbers. Yeah, and I suppose our inquiries make her up about fifty percent on what they were pre-COVID nineteen, and we can only assume that that increase in inquiries to our centre is down to the fact that a lot of people may have been under considerable stress owing to the lockdown and everything that was happening because of COVID-19 and maybe because of the isolation particularly and because of the baseline stress that was going on with the pandemic um, that these people unfortunately may have sought solace primarily in alcohol and gambling more so than illicit drugs even though illicit drugs is still a very big part of what we do but the increases we are seeing mainly surround a combination of problematic gambling and alcohol abuse. Okay, and why why has it, um, it's never been as bad, why is that? And and also, could you comment on the fact, like I said to one of our previous callers, it seems to have been, I won't say swept on under the carpet, but it hasn't got the media attention because of the blanket coverage for COVID. Homelessness, addiction, uh, counselling needs seems to have been dwarfed really in its coverage by the coverage of COVID. Yes, and I suppose that's that's understandable because COVID was such a big unprecedented event. But at the same time, there are going to be consequences of COVID-19 that are going to be far-reaching into the future for us. And one of the consequences, I believe, at least, is the gradual diminution of the mental health of the country as a result of the pandemic and people engaging in, in destructive things like alcohol abuse and that kind of thing. It, it's more like... it. The COVID-19 lockdowns, Mick, were the perfect storm for things, or the perfect conditions, rather, for things like this to become established in individuals. To incubate addiction. Indeed, because they had time on their hands. A lot of people were isolated, so they were lonely. um, And there was a lot of home drinking going on. And home drinking in particular is dangerous because it's quite cheap and you have no portion control. Mm -hmm. Um, So all these factors contributed to what we believe we're seeing these significant and concerning increases now in people contacting us and loved ones of individuals contacting us and saying to us, this person was a responsible drinker prior to the pandemic, but now we fear that their drinking has moved over the line to into problematic uh, proportions. Okay. And as regards gambling and substance addiction, is, is that on the rise on the rise as well? It's on the rise and there's a big concern amongst our organisation and I would imagine across the entire sector about the issue of online gambling amongst young people and online gambling coexisting with drug dependences in young people. And almost month on month, 
we are seeing increases in the number of young people that are coming to us for help with drug dependencies, but are then telling us that they have an online habit as well. And online gambling is the most secretive, surreptitious, um, easiest to hide in the beginning addictions of the whole lot. Because so you have a bookie yeah. in your pocket. Indeed. No, I was just about to say with the advent of technology, people are sat in front of smartphones and nobody is taking any notice. And in actual fact, they could be going down a very dangerous road while they're at that. So what's your advice to people? I know you're probably going to suffer from challenges funding-wise yourself because everything will be, you know, oh, sorry, we can't fund that because of COVID. Well, what, what, what's your advice for people or what road do you see ahead for your services? Well, I would imagine we will be looking at the, 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 the fallout from COVID for some time to come, I would say, the short to medium term. I could imagine it being as long as three to five years but there will be trends emerging in the field of addiction where we will be looking back and saying that is possibly connected to the events of 2020 and 2021. And there will be more demand. And one of the things we are witnessing, um, and we had been witnessing ever before COVID, is an alarming decrease in the age of first use amongst drug users. That's worrying. So we're me- yeah, we're meeting people now in their early 20s who are telling us that they have experimented with things like cocaine at 13 and 14 years wow. old. 13 and, and 14. Like 13 and 14. And pri- prior like class to A amphetamine at 13 yeah. or 14. Wow. The risk-taking behaviour, Mick, we used to see 10 years ago amongst young people always centred around alcohol and cannabis. And worryingly now, cocaine seems to be being taken into that milieu of substances that young people experiment with in their early adolescence. But of course, it's a different ball game altogether um, in terms of its addictive potential and its dangers. At, at that it's young age. My, Michael, I'd love yeah. to stay and talk to you longer. We salute you. Keep fighting the good fight. Michael Gearin, Brewery Senior Councillor. Thank you very much for coming on this morning and the best of luck in all your endeavours. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And it's now seven and a half minutes past 11 o'clock. Dan is on line six. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. You reckon in the next 12 months there'll be people losing their houses in the thousands? I do, I do actually, I do, because there, there's, a, a, there's a lot of people now that were not working for the last 12 months and over it, that were, that were people should have been and, and, uh, and the, the, I'll say it, on the social housing list and things like that. And those people were, were privately renting, renting, and they, they could not pay their rent because the money they were getting from the government, the 360 euros, wasn't enough. Okay, and that's going to cause and pressure. It is, and I saw something on the paper last week where the amount of people that will be in trouble over car loans and things like that. And, and if, tis, if the car loans are involved and other stuff and mortgages, it's going to increase the amount of people that will lose their homes and they'll, they'll, be, look, they'll, be, they'll be looking in for the local authorities to house them. Mm-hmm. Of course, you've got some recourse if your car is, is under pressure and is repossessed. It's not as halfway as serious as uh, know, your, your know, house coming I, under I, pressure. I'm just only giving an example. Like those people, a lot of those people were not be able to pay. They were trying to feed their children and everything else and look after the schoolings and, and the cost of school, the, the cost of children going to school is unreal, actually, and especially in national school. Okay. Among children, 
that's all I said. And I, I do believe that in the next couple of months, I uh, that the amount of homeless people is going to rise an awful lot. All right, fair point. Dan, thanks a million. We'll keep an eye on that. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye-bye. bye-bye. By text, we uh, have some text coming in from the topics of the show in the last couple of days. We covered heavily the uh, COMH topic. Hi, Mick, I'm just emailing to say how fair and unfair it is, I beg your pardon, unfair it is that my partner can go to a GAA match next month with a lot more people and he can't go to a scan with me to see his baby. How is that fair? How can Michal Martin and the HSE still not address this issue? Please keep my details private, but this issue needs to stay on the radio, as you have been doing, and into the papers as well, until it has changed. It is so unfair. Uh, we covered taking the knee in yesterday's newspaper review. Players are taking the knee solely at the behest of uh, groupthink, even though the first person killed by the police in the USA was a white woman. That event was hardly reported uh, on social media. And the woman has been forgotten about. There's no room for Marxism in sport, Mick, says another texter. The Irish team should be ashamed of themselves. And another one says, during the troubles in Northern Ireland, uh, the two things that were kept out of politics were children and sport, says Desi. And uh, one more. Hi, Mick, if you support the right of the players to take the knee, you must also support the right of the fans to boo them. Black Lives Matter is an openly racist and Marxist organisation taking a knee in deference to this violent extremist group is is a divisive political act. International football players are supposed to represent their nations. Uh, These extremely wealthy, pampered and privileged athletes may well have the right uh, to make a political protest, but the people of the nations they are supposed to represent have the right to make peaceful protests of their own. Uh, Black Lives Matter, of course, was founded by uh, community organisers and one of the three co-founders uh, said in 2015 that she and other uh, one other co-founder, at least, are trained Marxists. And uh, Black Lives Matter has grown into a national anti-racism movement, broadly supported by Americans, few of whom uh, would, uh, would identify themselves as Marcus Marxists. Let's go to line one and to Megan. Good morning, Megan. Hi, Mick. Everything? Very good. Now, you had anorexia in secondary school and it got extreme. Please tell us your story. Yeah, so basically, I suppose, um, in secondary school, I did develop an eating disorder. Um, and I did battle for it for quite some time. Um, I think I was about 16 when it started, and it lasted a couple of years. So I battled with it for a few years. And um, I suppose I kind of, how I could find the light at the end of the tunnel, really, was the gym. So I um, started, I joined a gym, a local gym. And from there, really, I found love and getting stronger and things like that. I had a few personal trainers as well who taught me a lot along the way. Um, and I really, I just found love um, for the gym there, Mick, really. And I kind of started learning as well and self-educating about nutrition. Um, because I felt at that age, I actually, I had no idea about, you know, what to eat, what was good for you, what, you know, I, I always saw food as, you know, if you eat this, you have to go train and you have to do a run and you have to do something. And at that age as well, I feel like we're very vulnerable and very like, self-conscious and there's a lot of pressures on young people. It's the same as today, you know, um, I sisters myself and just seeing them grow up as well, it's definitely, it just brings me back like flashbacks to when I was their age. And I suppose they were a huge, turn, huge turning point for myself as well and just wanting to do better for them. And, you know, like back when I was younger, I couldn't see the wood from the trees. I suppose I couldn't see what I was doing to other people, like even opposed to myself. I kind of wanted to put them first. And it did take a while. It took a while for me to actually realise that. But once I did then, I kind of just got into the gym and I kind of blossomed from there, I suppose. Okay, I I know a little bit more about you than you might realise because somebody who really, really loves you and wants to support you uh, sent me in an email about you and that is your mum, okay? 
Uh, and she is so right. proud of everything you've achieved. Uh, the, the fact that you had a business that was due to open in January but couldn't because of the pandemic. Uh, and now opening your fitness and nutrition business this week called Athena, or Athena, is it? Fitness and Nutrition, yeah. uh, which is yeah, going to be based yeah. in Claro in Tower. So you're 23 years old, Megan. You, you overcame huge issues with nutrition and fitness in your teens. This kind of, I suppose, mentally pushed you down this route. And now you have experience and you have skin in the game, if you like, and you can advise younger people who may have nutrition worries, nutrition issues, or eating disorders. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like it's very important as well, Mick, you know, to introduce people at a young age to the gym. Um, because I I feel like if I knew what I know now back when I was 16 and 17, 18, I don't, like, it mightn't have been as bad or it mightn't have happened at all, you know. It's the fact that I didn't have the knowledge back then and I didn't really know anything as such to do with the gym or food. I think if I did know it, it it might not have gotten that bad or I might have avoided it completely. So I always say, you know, like, the gym is a place where people come and they should. Like I say to all my clients, like, if if you leave... Um, today without learning one thing then I didn't do my job you know you go there to it's an escape for people you know you can train you can learn about food but you're also learning as you go and like I'm teaching as I go and I think that's the most important thing really especially with the younger generation today Okay Uh, let's let's go back to your own issues when you were much younger What, what do you think was the root cause of that? You know, looking back on it now, I really, I there's, I suppose my mom would probably have a different story, but for myself, I really, in that time, I couldn't pinpoint an exact moment in time of where, when it kind of developed. It really happened all of a sudden, I feel, and that's the worst part of it, Mick, is that it creeps up on you without you even realising it, you know, and before I knew it, I was, you know, wasn't going out with my friends, I was avoiding meals out, I was... Yeah, you're, but you were, you were training hard and not eating enough, or not, e- not eating yeah. properly. Absolutely, absolutely. So I suppose when I went to the gym first, I was on my own and I was kind of trying to teach myself. And I thought, as I mentioned earlier, like if I eat something, my reward is going to the gym, which was absolutely just not the way to look at it. That was almost ruining any bit of progress that I was going to do. You know, it's kind of counteracting it. So I used to go to the gym and I used to be training and I used to be in the session and just I used to feel so dizzy, so faint, and I used to actually have to completely leave the gym. And I used to feel so embarrassed then because I used to, I'd be just in the gym like 10 minutes and I'd have to leave straight away. And, you know, I, I, there's only so much of that you can actually do. And I felt like I couldn't get up out of bed. I was absolutely exhausted all the time. And of course, my mood was affected then. So it was from there really that I decided that I, just, I couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, my sisters as well, they're young enough and them seeing me being the way I was it just it absolutely broke my heart and even though it took a couple of years for me to realise that how much it affected people around you like around me at the time um, when I did realise it I, it definitely took a turn for the better So you, you had anorexia in, in that you were rewarding yourself if you ate anything which you didn't like eating anyway um, mm-hmm. that you would reward yourself by going to the gym having a very hard workout and going into massive calorie deficit Absolutely yeah yeah, I did. And as I said, it's definitely not, not the right way of doing it at all whatsoever. So I did end up getting a personal trainer and we kind of had a chat about food and things like that. And from there, I kind of started, once I started seeing progress with the food, and even though at the time, like I did not jump into eating massive meals straight away, like it did, it was a journey. It was definitely a journey and a process. But the thing is, you don't even realise the process or the journey happening. But if you take, when I took baby steps, I started introducing small things throughout the week 
Um, and I found that I was progressing more in the gym. I was able to lift heavier in the gym. My mood hadn't had increased. And even my concentration, like in school, like even for my um, my exams I think in school, I found I couldn't concentrate at all. I couldn't even learn off a paragraph of an essay or anything like that. But once I found myself eating again and that kind of concentration came back slowly, it's then when you, and when people start seeing it to you as well, it's then when you start seeing the effects of it, you know, that kind of way. Yeah, so you, 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 you actually changed your CAO application because you saw your family was so upset and you kind of said, I'm putting them through a lot here. They're heart, kind of heartbroken for me and you couldn't see them do that anymore. So you changed your CAO application to nutrition and CIT and eventually kind of found yourself. Yeah, yeah, I did. So for a long time, I wanted to do music um, in the School of Music. And I found that once I was on the path to recovery, I felt that if I could change, if even one person, even not even to change, because as I said, it, it is a process, it's a journey, and it's a scary journey at that as well. But if I only knew, as I said, what I knew when I was that age, um, it could have been avoided. So if, like with Athena, that's the whole reason behind that really is the name I suppose it came from like the, the goddess of war and wisdom and I feel like a lot of the time we're in a constant battle with our own minds and our, ourselves and just if you have that little bit of knowledge about what it is you're going through like whether that's in the gym or whether it's food or whatever it is you're going through if you have that bit of knowledge it makes the battle a little bit easier So who is um, who is Athena Gym aimed at? What age group? Is, is it gender specific? Is it open to all? No, it's absolutely open to anyone. So I'm taking people from 14 years of age and up. Um, I know a lot of gyms mightn't take 14-year-olds, but I, I do feel that at that age, like my own sister, she's 14, and I feel at that age, it's all about learning. It's all about introducing them to the right foods, into the right training, and just getting into a good habit from the get-go. Yeah, most gyms so are 16, I would say. Would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you are correct, yeah. So it depends really, some are 16, some are 18, it really just depends on where you go. Um, but I feel in a private PT studio it's a little bit different because they're not left on their own. So it's one-on-one -on -one personal training studio, so I would be with that person the whole time. So therefore there's no chance of you know, injury or anything like that. They're supervised the whole time and I suppose it's more so of a learning session. And a training session, I right, okay. and a chance for them to ask any questions, really. And the Insta for the business is Athena, A-T-H-E-N-A, -A, coaching.ie, athenacoaching.ie. So you have That's come it. from a, a situation where you were suffering from anorexia nervosa uh, to <laughs> finally sorting your nutrition, making it a kind of a life's passion, and now opening your own gym. Where, where, where is the gym based? So it's in Claro, in Claro Tower. So it's just about five minutes from Blarney and about ten minutes from Ballincollig. Wow, okay, that's nice, nicely situated in Claro in yeah. Tower. Well, well, well done, Megan. Uh, we wish you all the very best. It's, it's all down to uh, your mother, actually, who sent us in an email, which is very, very nice. And she is yeah, so delighted, you can tell from the email, uh, that this difficult road has come to such lovely fruition. Uh, and now there's a, a chance of, you know, a career uh, and, a, and a great future financially because, uh, because you care for other people. Absolutely, absolutely. I definitely, I wouldn't be where I am today if my mom didn't give me the push back a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, just 14 years enough. Um, I just love to be able to give back a little bit, I suppose, like for, to what 
what I learned when I was younger. So Brilliant. Well, well done to you, Megan. Every success with Athena. You can check it out on Insta on athenacoaching.ie. And thanks as well to your mum, Dolores. Thanks. Have a great day. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. 23 minutes past 11 and I'm delighted to welcome onto the air the man who educated me after 30 years of doing it wrong that it's actually Philip Linet and not Phil Linnet. Uh, Good morning to Roddy Clear. Good good morning, Nick. How are you? Thanks for that. Now, you were uh, probably the biggest fan of Thin Lizzy, a starstruck fan who eventually, over the passage of time, got to know the band, got to know uh, Phil's mother and got to know Scott Gorham and all that kind of thing and are essentially still the biggest fan but now the biggest supporter and the biggest advocate for all things Thin Lizzy. Would that be fair? Uh, well, me and many others as well. I was very lucky. Uh, when, when I was very, very young, uh, my brother introduced me to the band and I'm talking about their albums prior to Whiskey in the Jar going on release. Um, so I, I kind of got into the band very early in my life. I don't know why I liked them. I just did. But over time, I realized that um, the imagery that, that Philip would write about in his songs, particularly in those very early days, really appealed to me because I'm, I'm a bit of a dreamer myself. And, you know, his, his lyrics took me away to this faraway world and, and uh, you know, it, it took you away from whatever problems you were having at the time. But as you say, over the passage of time, as I got older and, and got into radio and all the rest of it, I was fortunate to be able to, well, I met him. I know a lot of people have met him. I interviewed him, which for me, and you will appreciate it being a radio presenter as well, that it was sort of like my hero. I'm about to meet this guy. I better not mess up, which I did a couple of times, but he was very gracious. Um, did he match up to expectations, Roddy? Well, they say you should never meet your heroes. And I, that actually played on my mind before I met him. But he, he, he matched all my expectations and then some. I saw two sides of him that day. I saw the very congenial, uh, very personable, very likable man who gave me a lovely interview. And shortly thereafter, when the interview was finished, something happened on stage. I think his bass guitar was knocked over by a sound engineer or whatever. And he went ballistic. So I saw the two sides of him in the one day. Wow. But, um, uh, you know, I, I still walked away from that from that day with, with uh, you know, whatever... However, I felt about him before I met him, it was increased. And, you know, I know that might sound a bit odd for a man of my age at this stage, but he he, he gripped me in a way that no other musician has done before or since. Uh, there's just there's this wonderful personality, charisma, uh, and a very likable man. Uh, sadly, it, it all went pear-shaped towards the end. But mm-hmm. you know, none of us are none of us are perfect. I suppose at the end of the day, and we have to always look at that. Yeah, let's let's uh, go there, Roddy, and then let's leave there because I don't think his yeah. legacy, thirty-six years on, should should be defined by the addiction. Uh, but Philip Paris Linet was an addictive personality. He died because of drugs. Let's let's visit that for a yeah. moment and move on. Yeah, it, 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 it's the one thing about this documentary that I enjoyed. They touched on it, and that was it. Just like we're doing at the moment, they mentioned that moved on. We yes, we all know he died from drugs, but I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of musicians and rock stars, whatever you want to call them. They all, you know, who have died from exactly the same thing. And it always irked me as a fan of his or a supporter of his, and likewise with any other people who who are followers of the band, that any time an interview or documentary was done, that they always focused in on the drug addiction whereas his music his writings and all that side of him were were not ignored but was kind of like pushed aside conveniently Uh, but now thankfully because of this sermon you know that they we're talking about by the way just in case because we haven't mentioned it it's songs for while I'm away 
Yeah, that's the title of a song that he wrote uh, that, that went out many moons ago. And, and what what uh, what I again coming back to that film and that song and and the whole movie for people out there who are not particularly fans of Thin Lizzy, people who out there who might only know uh, Whiskey in the Jar, The Boys Are Back in Town, or Sarah. If you go along to this movie, you're going to. I think you'd be very surprised at the depth of, of songs that, that he wrote and, and, and the depth of his lyrics because a lot of people just see Phil Leonard as, as a rocker, out and out rocker, and that was it. And he was so much more than, than that. Uh, you know, he, he had this, um, this really sensitive... There was two Phil Leonard's as far as I'm concerned. There was the guy who was off stage, who was the nice guy, and the guy that went on stage who became this aggressive rocker. And, you know, he, he did it to perfection. Mm-hmm. And I know, Mick, that I'm hugely biased and, you know... <laughs> I will always defend him one way or the other because I got to know him very well through his mum uh, and uh, some of the other band members as well. And, and the stories that they tell you, every single one of them, the common denominator uh, uh, between them all is a very nice, genuine person. Addictive personality, yes, but, you know, as I say, we're all human. And of course, paved the way for what would follow, and I, and I mean you too, and other Irish bands who, you know, he really opened the window on the Irish, unique Irish style of music. Yeah, it was quite unusual at the time. When, when, when Finizzi were starting out, we also had Horsehips and Van Morrison and a number of others. There was, there was other bands back then, uh, Doctor Strangely Strange and Skid Row, with whom he spent a little bit of time with, with um, Gary with Moore and uh, Bruce Shields. Shields yeah. but they, and, and Bruce, of course, taught him to play the bass and, and the rest, as I say, is history. But yeah, they, he, I won't say they helped make you two. That would be wrong to say. But yes, they certainly made it a lot easier for bands like to follow in their wake to make their mark and of course we all know what happened with you too they've faded away to nothing um, <laughs> you know uh, I'd be a big enough I'd be a big enough fan of, of Thin Lizzy to know where it actually came from uh, uh, Phil Lynott had never drove a car if I'm correct but he was being driven around the UK somewhere and he picked up an album by John Mayall on the Bluesbreakers on which Eric Clapton was reading a copy of the Beano and uh, so he the next news agent he went into, he bought a copy of the Beano. And in the Beano was a, was a robot called Tin, T-I-N, Lizzie, L-I-Z-Z-I-E. And he just Irished it up and, and there you go. Well, it was actually it was actually Eric Bell who picked up the album. He was the big Captain fan, but you okay. know, you're, you're 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 pretty much right. Uh, it was Eric who who brought the name first, and I, I don't think Philip liked it, but it stuck. And they were looking for a name at the time, and I suppose like any other band, you know, they're looking for a name. Okay, we stick with that one, and then it it, it just stuck, and and uh, on it went. And I read, there's a lovely story of um, Scott. Uh, who, when he joined the band, uh, he was asked, you know, that there's a band uh, that, that he came over with. His brother-in-law played with Supertramp, and he came over to audition for Supertramp, but he didn't get the gig. And he heard that Thin Izzy were auditioning. This is around the time when Eric had left shortly thereafter, and uh, he, he Thin what? <laughs> and uh, he, of course, became you know a uh, part of the, the was generally known as the classic lineup of Brian Robertson. And you know that's when people think of Thin Lizzy. Usually, that's the the era they think of mostly. You know, from seventy four up to seventy eight, seventy nine thereabouts. Yeah, there's the kind of the snowy white era. There's the you know the the Scott Garham is kind of a constant. Um, yeah, but there's the snowy white era, the Eric Bell era, and all of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, they, they were they were unlucky really in that there was a bit of a revolving door going on there with regard to guitarists, and it never really settled. You know, if 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 the classic lineup had stayed intact throughout all the years, 
goodness knows what they would have been doing now had even, you know, had Phil lived. I think they'd be up there with the Rolling Stones, that kind of status, you know, because they were heading in that direction. Uh, but, you know, they, 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 as you well know, a lot of these stories about bands in that era, you know, that the road is paved with hard luck stories uh, about, about bands down through the years. If only this hadn't happened or if this should have happened and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And I think they would have been mighty today had he lived and had they kept it together. Of course, um, Live and Dangerous was the seminal live album, one of, one of the groundbreaking albums of its time because I think big live albums from the likes of Queen uh, life mm. killers and all that kind of stuff followed. Um, Phil, Phil Linet had had two daughters, and 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 of course it's Sarah that's the standard fare for radio. Uh, but I much prefer the other song he wrote for his other child, which is never played, and that's called Kathleen. Yeah, it's beautiful, and then there's a lovely story that Kathleen tells in the movie, and uh, Sarah talks about how the song was written for her. And Caroline, Philip's wife at the time, said to him, you can't write a song about Sarah and, and not, not write, write one about Kathleen. about Kathleen. And Kathleen turns around and I'm paraphrasing here, she says, and I thought he loved me. <laughs> <laughs> he was joking me. He had to write the song. But yeah, I agree with you. Sarah is a beautiful tune. Uh, and I, and I love the tongue-in-cheek ending to Kathleen because it's Kathleen, yeah. Kathleen, a beautiful Irish girl, Kathleen. Now shut up and go to bed. Go to bed, yeah. <laughs> so t- uh, tell, tell us what people can expect from the, what is really a docu-movie really, isn't it? It is a docu-movie and it's done by, uh, directed by Emer Reynolds. Emer has uh, um, uh, a very strong reputation within the documentary film world and she, she is notable for a, a documentary she did about the uh, Voyager space probe called The Farthest. So you have a person coming into do this documentary who has a reputation if you pardon the bad pun not only has she a reputation making good movies but she also ha- uh, is a big fan of Finn Lizzy as well so it's not coming from somebody who's doing it just because well the contract says I have to make this film she's coming from a labor, from the place of love and she interviews all the big people you know Erica's in there Scott's in there Huey Lewis who acknowledges that if it wasn't for Philip Leonard, he wouldn't have had a a career. Adam Clayton is in there, and as we mentioned, Caroline and the two daughters are in there as well. And really, it just chronicles the the story of Philip and Sin Lizzy through his words and through his songs. And the obvious songs are in there, Boys Are Back in Town. You don't get the full entire song, but you get snatches of them. And she picks out... I loved the fact that she picked out songs that are not generally well-known. There's a great track in there called Running Back, uh, which is on the Jailbreak album. Uh, and she plays it towards the end of the documentary, and she, she uh, mentions that this is one of her favorite tunes. It would bank up there with me as well. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, 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 for, for the fan, it's brilliant. There's nothing new in there particularly. There are some great stories, but there's nothing, you know, you're not going to get any earth-shattering news, new news. But for the fan, you love it because it's Phil. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've seen it and I love it. Adore I've, I've always had a tongue-in-cheek uh, approach to playing Jailbreak on the radio. And whenever I did, I said, you know, I'd, yeah, quote, I mean, I'd, I'd quote the lyrics, tonight there's going to be a jailbreak somewhere in this town. Uh, I'd right, venture that I would be at the jail, Phil, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, I have a theory on that. If you change that lyrics slightly to, tonight there's going to be a jailbreak, it's somewhere in this town. That's okay. the way I see it. That they, these are, my reading of these guys come to town, uh, they don't know the town, they don't know where the jail is. But that's, that's been okay. a kind of a, a joke. For many your, your efforts to sustain Phil's legacy and his, his huge body of work uh, have led to the statue and to the commemoration events. Are you still involved in all of that, Ruddy? Oh, gosh, yeah, very much so. The statue was, was our... Uh, 
was our crowning glory, our crowning moment. Philomena uh, took immense pride in that, and she hasn't seen this film either, by the way, which which is a very sad. And unfortunately, she died. Actually, her anniversary is next weekend. Uh, two years ago, she would have loved it. Yeah, the statue was a, was a huge occasion, and uh, apparently, the statistics show that it is the most visited statue in Dublin, which tells you an awful lot about him when you consider that Joyce and all these other people have their statues in Dublin as well. And um, he. You know, there's just something about Phil. There's a real warmth towards him, particularly from Dublin people, because he never, ever forgot his Dublin roots, despite the fact he was born in England. He always regarded himself... He was born in West Bromwich, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and but he always regarded himself as Irish. And mm-hmm. I mean, with that accent, for God's sake, you know, you, could, you couldn't deny that he was from Dublin, you know. Absolutely. So it's called Songs for While I'm Away, looking at the extraordinary life and music of Phil Linet. Uh, yeah. I, I can't get used to calling him Phil Linet. Thanks to you now, I have to. Uh, it was always <laughs> Phil Linet to me, but Phil Linet, uh, well, telling the, the story of a young black boy from working class Dublin in the 50s becoming Ireland's greatest rock star. Sorry, Roddy. Well, no, for the for the well, two things. One, Dublin people always said Linnet anyway, so it's kind of a Dublin thing. And secondly, what I meant to say there earlier on was the film. If you're not a fan of the band, that doesn't really matter. Go along, you you will probably get your eyes open and end up like me, totally unutterly. Is, is it a big screen thing? And don't oh, wait, yeah. see it on the big screen. Yeah, it, it was made. It's made for the big screen. It was due to go on release uh, last autumn, uh, December time. There, sorry, yeah, around autumn, Christmas time last year. But because of the pandemic, it had yeah. to be uh, discovered. So just take your local listings. I, I don't know uh, with regard to Cork where it's been shown, but if it's not there this week, I would hope that we'll get into the cinemas over the next... Uh, it it isn't this week. It's in the real picture in Ballancolig, uh, 10 to 2 and at 9 o'clock, and it's in the Gate Cinema on North Main Street at quarter past two and 8 o'clock. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut across you. The beautiful thing about it is you're in a big cinema, big screen and loud. Yeah, that's the whole thing. And sp- speaking of loud, now I have Sarah lined up here, which is standard fare, okay? But I've also snuck in my favourite Tim Lizzy song. Will I play that instead? Well, that's a wild one, isn't it? It is a wild one. How did you know that? <laughs> t- t- well, the thing about it is it's great to hear you playing that for the simple reason is whenever a radio station mentions Philip and, and, and just whatever reason he's in the news, they'd either go for the boys or back to town, Whiskey and Jar or Sarah. Nothing wrong with those songs, but he had hundreds of other great tunes. And okay. I'm glad you picked that w- one. Wild one is loosely voice. based on the story of the Wild Geese, if I'm correct. It features some That's incredible it. drum rolls from Brian Downey. That's why it's my favourite song. I also have a, uh, a collection, the, the greatest hits of Thin Lizzy, called Wild One, and Wild One isn't on it. So I'm going to take the chance to, to play that now in address. Oh, Roddy Clear, uh, Thin Lizzy's biggest fan, and keeping Philo's memory alive. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. A big shout out there to Trevor down in Cork. He's a, he's a big fan of Thin Lizzy. All right, for you, Trev, here's Wild One. Great Philip Paris Linet uh, with Thin Lizzy. That is Wild One Song, loosely based on the Wild Geese. You can check out the docu-movie. It's on big screens near you now. It's called Songs for While I'm Away. The story of Philip. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. It's a quarter to twelve and here's a little tongue-in-cheek text. I'm putting in a complaint to the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland on Mick Mulcahy for blatantly lying to us listeners here in Cork. My towels my sun cream lotion, my swimming gear and the picnic basket was all ready. Uh, oh, we also had our glasses to protect our eyes from the partial eclipse of the sun. This was uh, reported on our news service, okay? So, uh, Mick Boy, you remind us of Cork's two biggest chancers, Cha and Maya. 
Nothing that comes out of your mouth, I will believe, after you're getting the hopes of people uh, of Cork up today for the partial eclipse of the sun. I didn't say anything about it. But anyway, great work, Mick. Uh, really enjoying the conversations. Yes, every couple of years or so, somewhere on Earth, the wanderings of our planet, the sun and the moon uh, come into attention because uh, they all line up like billiard balls on uh, on a green velvet. And seeing worlds disappear behind other worlds in an eclipse can make you cry or scream. But getting to that point frequently takes hard work and maybe even a bit of luck. And uh, that looked to be true for uh, our hopes for seeing the partial eclipse today. But we live in Cork and it was cloudy. And there you go. Nothing I can do about that. Hi, Hazel. How are you? Good I'm morning. Good. Now, you had a very special request on and we wanted to talk to you a little bit more about it as well. So, we read the request, but you've got a very special person in your life, Sean Kremen Kinsley. Oh, that's it. And he's 21 yes, today. Tell it. us all about him. Well, uh, Sean was diagnosed when he was three years of age and um, it's been a long, long road. Um, ups and downs, you know. Um I can't believe, to be fair, he's, I've actually got there with him at 21. Uh, I've been on to Neil on a few occasions, you know, due to the services, the struggles. I would have, you know, um, him being at home for a whole year when he left Skull Triest. Um, but where he is placed now, I am so ever grateful to them above in Antuanua in Cope. And um, it's just really a bit overwhelming as well. Because on my own, it's like, you know, I go home at night, I go to Dad's, and when I'm at home with Sean, it's just me and Sean, and I have two dogs, with two dogs. I, I so, can tell from the writing in, in your text in Hazel that he is the light of your life. Oh, a week, yeah. Oh, my God. He has taught me so much. I mean, to patience, just to listen, you know, just to calm everything down, down to his level. He is just, and he is so, so funny. You just wouldn't believe it. Just what he comes out with, you know, full on sentences and we're just all like ears and you take any notice and he'll stop. Yeah, okay. Um, You have to kind of not take notice. He is so, so lovable. He is so, he's, I call him Bubs. Uh, What's a typical day involved for Sean? Well, at the moment, um, he's in, um, due to the COVID, he's in his placement three days and then two days another week. Basically, um, well, on a day when he's not in his placement, he could be up early, um, up to dad's, out for the day in the car, spinning around. Um, we might go to one or two of the parks, as in where the exercise parks are. It wouldn't be a crowd of where kids, young kids would be our toddlers. Um, back in the car, home to dad's. Um, watch telly down home, shower, it's like a routine, shower, mm-hmm. shave, bed, you know, and up then if he's got his placement, you know, it's brilliant. He's Would it be fair to say routine is good? Oh God, yeah, routine, you know, tries, you know, he tries on routine. So we, we were getting that on the programme, you know, initially in the pandemic when the services were shut down and, you know, real heavily shut down, that the, the lack of routine was adversely affecting those suffering from autism. Oh, oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I actually am meeting people now that, you know, are saying, you know, their kids, it, it's so, it's, you know, it's becoming so, so common. And I'm just delighted because there's more awareness about it now, whereas before when Sean was a lot younger, it wasn't, you know, and because it's like 
if not a visible um, disability with Sean, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, he loves his music, absolutely loves music. Um, I'd be lost without my dad. I love him to pieces. I'm so looking forward to today and the weekend. And yeah, it's a bit of a party, I guess, is there? Well, yeah, there's a party in Antunua and then we um, a party just in our own house, just with uh, Dad and a few friends. Brilliant stuff. Hazel, we salute so, the 21 um, years that, that uh, this is the milestone. Uh, I know. I cannot believe, like, like my mum, my mum, where Sean with me, she passed uh, five years. It took an awful, an awful effect. And anybody that would have a sibling or child with autism, Death is it's it's a very very hard thing for them to comprehend. Mm-hmm. So more or less, we just have to say, you know, man is dead, finished, end the story. Not you can't say heaven or a place because he looked for that place. Okay, but I know she's looking down on him, and um, she'll know. be there for the birthday as well. I, I want to move on, Hazel, because I, I want to support an autism fundraiser if you don't mind. Uh, so th- thank you very much, and happy birthday to Sean. Have a great celebratory weekend, okay? Yahoo, happy birthday. Hey, happy birthday. You, Thanks a million. Thank you, Hazel. Jason, good morning. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Hi, now I've got a very quick opportunity to support you and uh, an autism fundraiser. Tell us all about it. That's correct. So, Autism Winners was introduced to my life when my nephew was born, Reese. He is, Reese has gone on three now. Um, he was diagnosed with autism about a year ago. Now, we knew for a while there was something going on with him. He was diagnosed, he'd be fairly high on the spectrum. So it's something that was always in my mind that I wanted to do something for autism. And I would have always struggled a little bit with my weight as well. So I was out of work for the last six weeks to two months. So I took the time to do something for autism. So he got a place in the Rainbow Club in Mahan. Um, It's a fantastic centre for autistic children and their families. Um, They do all different sorts of stuff there from language therapy, to play therapy, to sensory, mm-hmm. everything really that somebody that's suffering with autism needs. So I put together, we started, me and Michelle started Jason's weight loss journey for autism, and Neve's bad hair, hair day was added into it as well. So She's I've shaving off half of her head of hair and dyeing the other half blue. Uh, well, she's dying the same side blue for autism further down the road, yeah. Okay. She done the head shave there last week, which was brilliant. All right, um, gotcha. Uh, so you've lost a stone in three weeks. That's brilliant. Yeah, I'm over the stone mark now in the three weeks. Um, I started out with a lot of walking. In, I was going out to Tremor Valley Park, is what I was doing, and just walking 10, 12k a day. Um, Kevin Murphy, I believe to achieve Jim and Frank Field, came on board with me. So he sorted me out with a nutrition plan and all that. So I was sticking to that, and now the gyms are opened as well, which is great. So they're bringing me into the gym as well. They have been absolutely fantastic. And you want to lose a further three stones. So how can people support this very worthy autism fundraiser? Uh, people can. There's a couple of different ways they can support it. We set up a Facebook Facebook group, which is Jason's Weight Loss Journey for Autism and Neil's Bad Hair Day. Um, That's a bit of a handful. That's a bit of a mouthful as well. Jason's. Yeah. Say it again. Jason's Weight Loss Journey for Autism. And Neil's bad hair day. And Neil's bad, bad hair day. The I donate page is just www.idonate.com forward slash or pot of gold. Brilliant. And they can all, always get me through Facebook as well as Jason Crowley. And also Paul in Three Little Piggies in Union Key. Paul Brannock. We have 
that's correct. We have um, a, a big blue pig in there, spray painted blue and all designed up for anybody that wants to donate there. They can donate there as well. Um, there's a couple of different businesses came on board with me. McCarthy's Family Butchers, they're giving me all the meat um, for my nutrition side of things. Um, Southern Signs in Douglas Street, they made up signs for the car. All very good. Will you keep in touch, Jason? Leave us know if you hit your target of 5,000 euro and a further three stone. I will, of course. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. All the best with it. Uh, now, the programme today was produced by Emer O'Hay-Martin, uh, by Brenda Dennehy, by Seamus Whelan, and by Mark Willington. I'm going to leave you with the Phil Culture classic, uh, as only can be sung by Luke Kelly and supporting all who do everything they do for the autistic and uh, for support services and for the general care. Good morning for the Neil Prendival Show. See the child. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.